0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about the beta process. Um, and this was not something that I really knew was a thing before I, I was in fandom for a while. And someone told me I needed a beta, and I was like, well, what the hell is a beta? Um, I had had relationships, like cooperative relationships with other writers professionally, like, hey, would you read my stuff, and I'll read your stuff. And But it wasn't like the experience I got in fandom, because... You're not gonna get another pro writer to edit your work for you. <laughs> Definitely like, not. No nah, dog. <laughs> that's a no from me. <laughs> well, that's gorgeous. I'll put her in the corner. Um, anyways, uh so yeah, I mean, so it was like it was a startling circumstance to find out that there were people who would edit my work for free. I, I didn't even know what to do with it. Right. When not all betas are created equal so keep that in mind. Yeah, thank you Lady Holder. Um but uh and and you can't have mine. I'm stingy. Anyways. Well, I guess <laughs> I guess that's okay. <laughs> Anyways. So the first time I let somebody see my work, it was basically what I considered my final draft because I didn't have anybody the process was new to me. So I gave the people who baited the work. And I do believe that my first baited project was the awakening. This is my first major beta anyway. And so I sent the two people that baited it, and one of them was Ladyholder, basically what I thought was a done draft. And I get it back. It was awesome. I got some great feedback. I got my thing that one person shared my work without my permission, but that's okay. I'm over it. Not bitter. And um then we kind of rolled out from there and I developed a process I'm not over it. I developed a process for deciding where I would where I would be in my writing process that when I wanted a beta. And then I was introduced to alphas and that's a problem. So I was like, Well, what am I gonna do with the alpha writer reader? I figured it out. That that isn't tonight's discussion. So I have a like, a method that I use to get ready for beta, and um, the so, but before I get to the point where I'm ready to do that method, I'm already on my second or third draft, to be perfectly honest. uh, Because I don't feel it's appropriate to throw my rough draft at a beta.
1: It's really not, and honestly, this is one of my pet peeves in fandom is, um, and when I was... New in fandom, and you know, feeling like I need to do my part and beta read for people because people beta read for me, and I want to address that whole notion of reciprocity later because there's some, there's, there's something to that, but there's also an inherent flaw in it. But anyway, um, um, I. You know, I, I felt like I just had to take whatever I was given. And it was making me miserable. Because people were just, like, literally, like, finishing something and tossing it over the wall at me. And it would be just complete garbage. And um, so, that's just, in, in the professional re- arena, the notion of a beta reader, which is how the concept came into fandom... It's, it's not like fandom invented the concept of a beta reader. Beta readers were the group who read the book right before it went to publication. Like, it had been through the entire editing staff. They were not editors. They were look, giving it a final look through to kind of see if there were any glitches, give feedback. It was sort of like a combination of final edit and focus group. It was not really a full-on editing kind of thing. It was the last eyes on your project before your book hit the shelves. Beta readers, not a new concept. It's not a fandom specific concept, but the way fandom interpreted what a beta reader was, was very different from how, what the professional publishing world's beta readers were.
0: Well, let's back up just a little bit and talk about that. So on a professional project, like I think that I was really, Focused on the actual process in my second book that was published. Because my first book, I was in a daze. You know, like, holy shit, I'm getting published. It's going to be in bookstores. Oh, my God. My mom can go there and take a picture of it with her. She did. She goes to the bookstore takes pictures of my books on the shelves. Puts them on Facebook. Anyway. (laughs) And my mom will also front my books. She's proud of you. (laughs) Yeah, she'll, she'll front my books. And what that means is when you're on a bookshelf and you see the cover of a book versus the spine... That book has been fronted. And books that are fronted are normally new releases. My mom will front a book of mine that was published five years ago. There's no shame in her game. None. Anyway, so my second book went through the buying editor, which was the editor that I was, that contracted me for my book deal in that publishing house. And she pitched it to the publisher board committee whatever there will be three or four people involved in that decision and she would read it and then she would pitch my book to be bought now because I had a three book deal that part was pretty easy for both of us they knew what I was going to be giving them because I'd sent them synopsis for three books two books because the first book was yeah two two synopsis um so they knew what they were getting And she confirmed that they got what they expected to get, and that she loved it. And da da da. da. And then maybe they read it, maybe they didn't, depending on um, the time they had to devote to that particular decision. Then it, you know, it came back. I got a contra. I mean, I got a notification that yes, that it was accepted. Um, They weren't going to ask for any changes, and my agent got cut a check for the for the second book, Uh, as far like 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 an advance, because I got the initial contract advance and then I got a I got too many advances on the publications that came after the first book. So anyways so I get my check and then it goes into now because my editor bought it as is I didn't get a content edit. She didn't have a single change for me to make. Then my line editor got it and I went through line edits and I did the line edits and I sent it back And then the next time I saw it was a proof copy. And a proof copy is it comes to you, printed out. By
1: the way, line editing is probably what most of you think of when you think of beta. It's somebody who's basically checking spelling, grammar, punctuation, typos, typos, that kind of thing.
0: That's all they do. So it gets put to uh, format and I get a proof. At the same time that I've got a proof, there is a person at the publishing company. Who's also proofing, and we have a dialogue about the proof. And if there are any changes that I want made to the way it looks, to the way I mean, it's formatted. Are are all my paragraphs the way they're supposed to be? You know, it's it's page by page. Are my paragraphs breaking at the right place? Um, just you know, little little things that make your they're part of book presentation. I send my changes off. It gets. It's done. And then depending on the publisher's house, it may go to a focus group or a beta group like Julie was talking about, or it may not. Now in the publishing house that I was with, pretty their focus group was at the front end of the process. And they're the ones who bought or said yay or nay on whether a book would be bought. So by the time it got to the proofer, all the decisions were made. I had cover art. It was ready to go. And the closest I came to a beta relationship before fandom... like The way fandom sees the beta relationship was a critique partner. And that was usually a writer friend of mine who I would say, what what I do to Jilly and the other bitches these days. I'll be like, hey, would you look at this and see if I'm crazy? (laughs) That was 50K at them. Well, and the funny (laughs) thing
1: is, is the answer is this is great and you're crazy. So I... (laughs)
0: But yeah I mean, but I've been playing with a uh, with a new fandom you might have noticed and when you're riding in a new fandom, there's this like there's for me there's this period of adjustment where I'm kind of riding in a vacuum and I'm still trying to figure out my headcanon um, and the parts that I think are crucial to character development and the things that I can tweak. For my own use. When it comes to like alternate universe stories. Which is my favorite. I prefer to write in an alternate universe. Instead of canon. I mean I prefer to be as canon adjacent as possible. Until I have my divergence point. Because. That's the whole point for me when writing fan fiction. I don't want to tell the story you've already heard. You know. So. A critique partner was closest I got to the beta relationship. Before I. Entered fandom as a writer. And even that. That. Was not like line editing. It, in fact, my critique partner was more like a content editor and an alpha reader had a baby. Does that make sense? hmm So, and I had several um, critique partners. I was actually kind of indiscriminate with my critique partners. because, And you, honestly, if you're going to do that, you have to have a really solid sense of self. Because it's easy to get led astray. In a critique relationship. Or even in a beta or alpha relationship. And all of a sudden you're writing something. That you did not intend to write. So when I get to my third draft. Sometimes it's the second draft. I guess it depends. Like Unleash Your Demons went through three drafts. And so did my Mandalorian project. But the absence of war. Went through four before. And I didn't do a beta. Because I didn't have time.
1: And also, it also depends on the length of the work and kind of how I feel about it. Um, some things come out um, cleaner than other things do. Um, I reread my rough draft of something that I wrote years ago. Rereading something that I read years ago is usually telling about how rough it is, um, because if it's that old, I'm going to hardly remember what I wrote. Right. Um, and i was i was stunned at how clean it was so i wouldn't i had very few changes to make on it and um that probably if i if i didn't need to write more on it to finish it i probably would if that let's say that had been closer to done i probably would only have needed to do the, that one edit on that story but that's a different that's unusual but the whole fandom notion of a beta reader is pretty an unusual space. Somebody line edits for you for free. And, um, the thing is in a professional setting, when you're sending something off to your publisher, you are not sending them your rough draft.
0: And if you do, you're an arrogant twat and you should be ashamed (laughs) of yourself.
1: And also they're going to kick that back to you. Like, have you lost your mind? (laughs) um, but i've seen people and on the, on a regular basis send things off to their beta reader that they've just finished writing like they haven't even reread it themselves much less run spell they haven't run spell check they haven't done anything and it is it, it is like to me just terrible behavior and if it's something you do i don't care if you feel judged <laughs> because it's just it's terrible behavior to expect somebody else to run spell check for you
0: seriously I mean, yeah, there are moments where a spell check isn't going to get it if they're a there, there, and there situation. Yeah, but yeah. to not your, do a spell your, check at all,
1: your beta reader should not be having to change and fix words that don't exist in any language dictionary. I'm not talking about word confusion. I'm talking about words that just are grossly misspelled. And um, so
0: misspelled, Google laughs at you.
1: <laughs> like I have no idea what you're trying to say. But uh, here's a link no. to Webster.com. And it is, it is, there's kind of like a, I, I got so many beta beta files to beta where the person had not run any kind of spell check. And it was obvious in like in the first paragraph sometimes that they hadn't run a spell check. And I have actually in the course of challenge um, sent uh, projected stories that, I mean, I don't require for, because I, getting a, getting a beta somebody you're comfortable with in a, in challenge is that's a difficult thing because it, it's not easy to get a beta you trust. Find them constraining. So for the quantum bang, we didn't want to do that. But we do require that you run spell check and recommend that you run a grammar checker. So you know when I open up somebody's file and I see words that don't exist in the first couple paragraphs, I just kick it back and say, you know, we require you to run spell check. And I'm not trying to be an asshole, but I can't believe sometimes that people submit stuff that they didn't run spell check. Um so anyway, um but it it is it is just really So and the funny thing is the, the here's the bizarre thing is I see stuff that is posted, finally posted on whatever archive that has been through beta and still has words that don't exist. Like they're grossly misspelled, which means nobody ran spell check. Nobody did a spell check. <laughs> and I don't fault the beta reader for that at all. You know, cause it's honestly not the beta reader's job to run spell check for you. So um, it is, it is definitely a real big pet peeve of mine. And honestly, if I had said I would beta for somebody and they sent me a file that obviously hadn't been spell checked, I'd kick it right back to them. And, and I would not say it, it wouldn't be a case of send this to me once you spell checked. It would just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't conclude. I wouldn't beta for them at all. I'd be like,
0: sorry. So I wrote down like a, A list of things that I do before I go to beta. So on the assumption that I'm either on my second or third draft of a book, story, whatever, if if I'm going to do the beta process, which honestly I find very frustrating, but sometimes I do it. Okay. Um, So the first thing I do is a self-edit, which means I do a read-through, try to find my mistakes. And usually this is roughly two to three weeks after I've finished the final draft or my third draft. I've given myself a little break from it so that I can look at it with fresh eyes, which is why often I don't have time to do a beta. I ran out of time with Absence of War because I didn't have time to, because it was so long. I didn't have time to give it three weeks of rest before doing my self-edit and then getting the beta process. I had the time to do the three-week rest and then do my self-edit and that was it. Well, the grammar check and all that stuff, but I didn't have time to have a beta done, which would take two or three weeks on, on a project that size, and then go do the final edit. I just didn't have time for it. So I do a self edit. I do a spell check. I do a grammar check. And yes, I do them separately. Because I've noted in myself that sometimes I will, if I'm doing spell and grammar at the same time, um, so I'll do a spell check in Word and then do a grammar check in Grammarly. uh, Because sometimes if I have a whole bunch of stuff I will accept words that I should not accept, like replacements that are not accurate. Like I have misspelled it so badly that instead of getting inconvenient, I got incontinence. So, you know, spell check separately if you have that problem. Because I, yeah, you know, grammarly check, right, Dark? And then, <laughs> and then I do another read through to make sure nothing has gotten fucked up during my grammar or spell check, like incontinent. And then I do a word check and I know the difference between regulate and relegate, but I use them interchangeably when I write. Don't ask me why. So I will do a search for that word to make sure I've used it. And if I've used it, I've used it correctly. I do the same thing for corporal and cor- corporal, C- corporate, corp- corporeal, corporeal, corporeal. Yeah, I use those interchangeably, too. Um, I also, some, and I didn't, I found out a couple years ago, thank you, Jillian, that ordinance and ordinance weren't the same. So I had to go back and do that. And recently, I've been going through my, um, my draft and looking for all the terms I use the word shit to make sure I'm actually using it appropriately.
1: And not in a sex scene.
0: Well, yeah, and not in a sex scene, but more specifically, I wanted to make sure that no one's putting their shit on. (laughs) Right. Instead of their shirt, because I did, I did it, and I was like, "Oh my god, Jillian infected me." <laughs> okay. You're blaming me. <laughs> Anyways, and so I, I, I do that word check to last, and I will check for its too, because oftentimes, even though I know that itu S is not the possessive of it, I still sometimes use it inappropriately. So I, because just. Writing, especially when you're in a really good groove, when you could put out, I don't know, 8K in a day, you're going to make those kinds of mistakes because you're moving so fast. And sometimes you're writing faster in your brain than your fingers can keep up with. And then I I, I send it to beta. So my process for going to beta is about four weeks long. I do two to three weeks of, I prefer three, of, of a cool down on a project. Then I spend a week doing my self-edit, my spell check, my grammar, my read through, my word check, depending on the size of the project. And for this, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm looking at about 100K, which is kind of like my, 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 my zone lately between 100 and 120 is my zone on the novel format right now. So about four weeks that, that I prepare for beta. And if you're sitting there thinking that's a lot of time to waste on 120K. You have no business whatsoever asking someone to spend time on your work, because if you can't invest a week in editing your own novel, how dare you ask somebody else to do it?
1: Honestly, now my process, my process is a little bit. It's similar to Cura's, but it's a little bit different. I okay. mean, sometimes I have multiple levels of drafting, like yeah. like Cura does. Um, which drafting for me is 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 basically multiple rounds of editing it's reading through it editing stuff sometimes I have notes about I need to go through and change this so usually the first major edit is the big one it's the one where I'm making the most changes it's where I'm fixing stuff especially in a rough trade project I will often um Outside of rough trade, I am more likely to go in and fix a big problem right away. But during rough trade, I don't go back and fix stuff. I make notes about stuff. And so my first big edit is when I go through like on a rough trade project. And that tends to be a little bit, it, it tends to vary a little bit what, how I wrote the or, initial draft as to what that first big edit looks like.
0: Oh, wait, but, one second. Someone just asked me a private question. That I think we probably need to address right now. Um, when we're saying a second or a third draft, we're not writing the book again For me a second draft is I make a copy of my file label it second draft and then go in and start editing I'm not writing the book over and over again and neither is Jilly no,
1: no. <laughs>
0: okay it's okay go ahead
1: so
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah um
1: so after when I feel like I've got to what i would consider a final draft as opposed to a finished story um that's when i run spell check and um and i this is where one, one of the big divergences between my processing care is, is i run words grammar checker i don't run grammarly until after i come back from beta and the reason is because really? sometimes yeah because sometimes beta's make suggestions that I want that I'll be like maybe and I'll put their mm-hmm. suggestion in but I want to evaluate it in the context of what Grammarly thinks about it. Um, and I Grammarly is my final sanity check to make sure um I also had a beta um that I stopped working with um who was making changes without track changes on. What? Yeah. Um and honestly, and one of the one of the ways I caught that was actually something in Grammarly, um,
0: a mistake you wouldn't have made.
1: Yeah. yeah, it was something. It was because I ran Grammarly at the end that I I was like, well, I can't believe I made that mistake. And when I went back and looked at the draft I sent her, it wasn't in there, and it wasn't in the, her track changes. And so I did a document compare, and she had made a bunch of changes. Um, it was probably it, it was just. It was tweaking some lines of dialogue I guess she didn't like. Um, and she, it was clear she deliberately turned off track yeah. changes to tweak that
0: dialogue. Yeah. That is really oh. fucking rude. And because Grammarly
1: just Love helped me guy. catch that, that um, I just got in the habit of Grammarly being the very last thing I do. But like I said, I do run Words. Gram, words Grammar Checker used to be shit, but it's gotten a lot more robust. It catches things differently. Than Grammarly does. It's got a very different algorithm. All the different grammar checkers have very different algorithms from each other. So I don't know that I would recommend using like. There's. I don't remember what the the big competitor to Grammarly is called. Um, um
0: I have a link for it. Hold on, because I was looking at it, but I just don't like it. Um, that's probably not it. I'm like, what the hell is that? And then I realized it was underwear. Okay, what is it called? It's like Pro Writing Aid or something. Pro, it's it's something pro,
1: yeah. Whatever it's called, I don't know that I would say that you need Grammarly and Pro Writing Aid. I think that's it's probably called a Pro re- Writing Aid. Yeah,
0: it is called. Okay, pro so I, th-
1: I think that's redundant because their their algorithms are probably closer together. But Words algorithm is very different from Grammarly, and I will run one after the other, and they will catch completely different things.
0: Maybe I'll so, add that word Grammarly that word because I I got in the habit of not trusting Words Grammar, editor, but that was years um, ago.
1: It. I don't think it's any more trustworthy than any other grammar checker. Which I don't just grammarly
0: either, but <laughs> either you have the thing,
1: and here's one of the things about grammar checkers is it, you need to be able to evaluate what it's telling you to do. Um, and some things are easier to learn how to evaluate, like evaluating a comma between independent clauses. That's pretty easy to learn how to evaluate that. And both tend to grammarly is better about picking that up than word is. Um, Because you're just looking for complete sentences on both sides of the comma. And you're like, oh, yeah, that does have a need a comma in there. Um, Oh, on
0: Grammarly news, I have noticed recently that Grammarly is remembering my decisions between opening and closing a document. That's an improvement. Or my Grammarly copy is corrupted. (laughs) I need to reinstall it because I was like... Really? Grammarly? You think I'm okay? You think I'm awesome? And I realized it was actually remembering decisions I'd already made from when I closed the document week before. Um, but whatever you
1: do in, and that's actually a big improvement, but whatever you do with your Grammarly, with, with your grammar checker process, um, and this is something that um, it's, it's a more, probably in the last couple of years, I decided to add into my process um actually i'll come back to that in a second let me finish how what i what i do to get to beta so i run my um one second i I'm just making um, oh no nope. so i run the gra- i run words grammar checker and spell check and like here i run them separately i run the spell check first and then i run the grammar checker um which is a little bit of an annoyance because you have to um you kind of wind up running the spell check twice because it's I think it's a, I, you can turn the grammar checker off but it's kind of hard to turn the spell checker off from the grammar checker but anyway I run the spell checker without the grammar on and then turn the grammar on and then I um and then I do my check for some of my words and stuff I usually have a list I, ha, I have a list of standards if I look for but usually there's a there's some stuff in the project that I need to check on like have I checked certain persons some have I got a the names all spelled correctly um for a long time abby's last name in in uh, the criminal in the ncis franchise abby Shuto, i uh, my instinctive spelling of her last name was had the vowels reversed so for a long time i had to search for the misspelling of her last name um and just there's often i would have some notes about things i felt like i was being inconsistent inconsistent about like in stargate i'm often in you know find that i'm inconsistent about capitalization of race like sometimes i'll capitalize it sometimes i won't sometimes i'll capitalize ancient and sometimes i won't and so i would make a note to myself to check the my capitalization consistency um so i would check you know i would do some searches on those kinds of things to make sure and and i think there was one instance where I was really, I mean, to hit my timeline for posting for a challenge, I knew um, I had to get it off to beta by a certain day. And I did not have time to do that step where I was searching for all of those names and consistency checks and stuff. And so I just told my beta, I know I haven't done my consistency checks. If you find anything inconsistent, don't worry about it. I will do my consistency check on you know, wraiths, ancient, whatever, when I get the file back. So don't worry about it. Um, and then while I'm working on this part of the the thing, I am making, and this is part of my evolution of how my process has evolved, is I'm making a list of what I want the beta to know. Like, this is what I think is some problems. This is where I think I need attention. This is kind of what I want the focus to be.
0: Um, like need to start things- doing that.
1: One of the things I've started having to tell ask betas to do is if they think they have a global change that they think I need to make, to please only make it the first time and explain it, why they want that change made, and don't make it any additional times. Because what's happened is that sometimes I will disagree with a beta about a change that they think needs to be made globally, and then I might have hundreds of changes to reject. And that's time-consuming. So it's better if there's a global change that needs to be made that they tell me once and let me think about it, and then I go through and do the work to put that change in. And it saves time for them, not having to put that change in over and over and over again. And it ch- and it puts it saves document clutter as well, visual document clutter, so it's easier to read. Um, and I know as a beta, I've also started beta the same way where I tell people I'm only going to make this change this first couple of times. But I recommend that, you know, for consistency's sake that you go through and you make this change throughout your entire story. Because it's less time-consuming. Also, and to let the beta know what I have done already, which let them know I have already run Grammar Checker. And please don't run a Grammar Checker because if I have rejected half of the things Word wanted me to do, I don't need to reject those same changes because they put them all back in. Or if they run Grammarly, I promise you, I reject 90% of what Grammarly wants to do. So if they <laughs> run Grammarly on my document, I'm going to have to reject the 90%, the 90, the, there, if they, if, let's say they accept everything Grammarly wants to put in, and I had to go through and reject it all, and then I go run Grammarly myself and go have to reject it all again. So it's important to communicate to the beta. Don't run grammar checkers, please, because I'm going to do it. I've either already have done it in the case, in my case, because I split the grammar checkers around mm-hmm. beta. I do one before and one after. Um, it's, it's just a big time suck for me to have to basically. And the beta it's a time suck for the beta too. Also. The other side of it is that um, um, when it comes to Grammarly um, or any grammar checker, when it wants you to make some changes, um, it's a matter of, I I think a a change should only be put in if, I only want the beta to put in changes that they're confident are accurate changes, not just accept a stock grammar checkers.
0: I think also it would be important to pull on this list, um, things that, I'm not. I will. to go to the, the ladies. So I. So if you've already said this, so I'm sorry, but areas in your, um, in your craft where you're weak. Like I mm-hmm. would tell any person beta-ing from me, I never. I ne- either I put too many commas or not or no commas at all. Just FYI.
1: <laughs> yeah, and no commas is better than than misplaced commas i'm just need to put that
0: out there again Um, again, a misplaced comma can often ruin your tone
1: yeah it can and it can actually completely change the meaning of a sentence whereas people will people will tend to plug the right a comma in in the right place contextually um but um so yeah so it's important to let the beta know what you've already done and what you don't want done so if you don't want feedback about a subject You need to communicate that. That's really important, let the beta know, because, like, if you really are tetchy and you know you're touchy about characterization, you don't want feedback about characterization, it's really important. You say, unless I'm just make a big, like, I've created a plot hole with characterization or I, you know, contradict myself, I'm just not interested in any kind of characterization feedback. Although I tend to think of characterization feedback as more of an alpha thing. But a lot of betas don't really make... Much well, that's one thing I would
0: say that I do not want alpha feedback from a beta because by the time I get to the beta process, alpha feedback is no longer useful for me. Yeah, I agree.
1: And But the problem is, is a lot of beta readers don't know how to make that distinction. So they think they're doing it all, which is why it's important to communicate what you need. Um And basically what I tell beta, I'm at the point where I tell beta is, mostly I need, you know, if there's anything inconsistent, I'm looking for typos. Um Typos, inconsistencies, and often I will if there's if my um, if my story has a lot of action in it, I will usually let a beta know that you know I'm uncertain if the action scenes are clear. Um, if anything seems like it's fiddly there, um, <laughs> just let me know. So, because I want feedback again those on the thing on the skills that I feel like I'm weak in, like if if this seems like it's not comprehensible, um, let me know. You know, or if something is confusing, because I actually do want to know if you're confused, let me know. If something is difficult to follow, let me know. Otherwise, I'm basically looking for typos. I often don't even want like comma feedback from, um, for the most part. I've, I, 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 between me and Grammarly, I think I get most of my commas. So, um, and I would say that about 80% of commas that betas have put in for me, I wind up projecting. If not oh, well, more.
0: personally, dark, if I was at the beta stage and my beta came back and told me that I had broke it, I had sent their suspension of disbelief to China, I, I want to know that because if I've got a fundamental flaw in my narrative that made it all the way to beta, I really need to know, <laughs> you know? that's a, that's a little bit different than a straight up alpha situation, you know. One of the more interesting things that I did was, um, Gratua, is, that that was my Mandalorian um, fic for Quantum Bang, is that I had an alpha reader who was a big Star Wars fan, but my betas were not. Well, n- neither one of my betas had watched The Mandalorian, so they were depending on me to deliver all that they needed to understand the story. And I think that was really beneficial. And I think it helped me produce a work that... Um, could be read as almost like original fiction at some point. Because, you know, if they were able to follow it without knowing the Mandalorian canon and having just Star Wars knowledge on a pretty high level, you know, maybe just the movies, I'm not sure about where Chris is on the movies. But um, honestly, I'm not sure where Holder is on the movies. I think she said she watched the movies. So I think that's honestly, you know, an interesting place to be in when you're writing like that, especially in a small fandom where I, most of my readers were not reading Star Wars. They were not reading The Mandalorian. Some of them hadn't even seen The Mandalorian. Um, So having two beta readers who really didn't have knowledge of The Mandalorian was helpful. So sometimes you got to pick the right beta for the right project. Yeah.
1: Which, you know, if you've got, you may not have the luxury of having Multiple betas, and sometimes depending on the fandom, it can be hard to get beta readers. So
0: this is one of those things that kind of it. Yeah, I'm incredibly lucky to have betas that will read whatever I give them. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, you're, I've
0: had I've fifty k of Mandalorian. Thank
1: you. I always, I always want to know if something is throwing the the reader out of the narrative. Um, but sometimes, sometimes it's um, some things are. I want to know, but it is also a matter of opinion kind of thing sometimes because sometimes yeah. it's, like a, it's a matter of, there's a difference between I can't follow this and um like I had a a beta reader tell me once that that a word the a word a character used through the out of the narrative, and the thing is it was it was it was weird. It was a weird disconnect because they felt like that the word the character was about wouldn't have used that word. But it was internal dialogue, so it would be like, um, it would be like, so it just just it, to give you an example without using what literally was said, it'd be like Buck thinking that Eddie had a splendid ass, which he does, and he does,
0: that, and and, and Oliver Stark might think that. <laughs> And then
1: very first right? to
0: say, right? But
1: splendid. but then their feedback was that Eddie wouldn't use the word splendid. I'm like, yeah, but it's Buck's head. So what difference does it make if Eddie would use the word splendid? You know. So it was, uh, but through the you know the that word choice for
0: the, I know it makes no sense. Um, they obviously didn't recognize what POV you were in. So I hope you don't let them beta for you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm I'm, it is one of the
1: one of the few things that i i would say i can i won't say never but it is it is rare that i fuck up pov it is it is and usually it's because i stepped away from a story for like a year and forgot what pov i was right say. but that's one of the things that i cuz i write a deep pov so i don't like get confused
0: about who i'm writing um so and we've discussed many times pov there are several different podcasts on it and um Narrative styles, as far as like POV concern is concerned, and Jilly has a really deep, almost first person, third person POV. Whereas I tend to skim the top of my POV, and I would say Lady Holder's almost kind of in the middle, not quite, because I think she's a little closer to the top than she is the bottom.
1: Yeah. And Although suddenly you get, that you sounded dirty, and I was like, that, that, "Is that dirty?" Sounded dirty. You were. Um, I would say it depends. <laughs> the, it depends I would think it, it's becoming a little bit like your Harry Potter POV is very um, high, but you were a lot deeper in your POV in The Mandalorian, that Mandalorian stories. A lot deeper. I,
0: yeah. 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 And I think it's important. Well, that was, I made that choice because I wanted to. His journey was so. I tend to r- ride pretty high in Kara's POV, but. Deeper and dense POV because it was his mm-hmm. journey. Yeah. I can see it. And So these are choices that you make when you're. You know in your narrative process is like. You know how much. Do you want to expose your character to your reader. That's That's what it comes down to. And the higher your POV. The less exposure your character is. Is. Less exposed your character is.
1: <laughs> yeah it's um. I would say whatever my main character is my deepest point of view, which is where you went within. With mm-hmm. um, I'm often so like with my the so far series, um, I would say my the the POV where I wrote for Eddie and, and Buck was were both pretty deep, but the um, Judd's POV in the first book was much shallower. Um
0: And that makes sense because even when you're not in Buck's or Eddie's point of view, the people around them um it's about them, right, right, right. So you don't want to dig too deep into a secondary character's POV. And this is why it's not important. This is why it's very important not to dilute your narrative with a bunch of POVs, uh, because the more POVs you put into a work, the more the the less intimate your work will be. But that's definitely an alpha situation. That that's you know something an alpha. Well, when I'm in the alpha process, that's usually, you know, honestly, alpha readers are the only ones who see my rough draft outside of rough trade. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And part of, I've often, every time I've been Uh,
0: frustrated, on that, on that, someone, someone who was in the podcast the last two nights, um, I'm not going to point fingers because I don't know which finger to point, but one of you, if you're here tonight, one of you sent me an anonymous email. And in that email, You implied that you did not think that I had ever posted a rough draft on Rough Trade. The implication being is you think I pre-write. I'm going to get a little arrogant with you for a minute. My first draft is better than some people's final draft. And fuck you for thinking otherwise. Anonymous email. Yeah, I tried to respond and it came back undeliverable. So they opened a Hotmail account, sent me an email, and then immediately closed that Hotmail account again. It's happened nice. once or twice. So yeah, it happens a lot. It, and yeah. I've had people I'm question sorry, my rough me on other awesome. on their rough draft. It's like, you know, "Are are you sure they're not cheating?" And yes, somebody has asked me if Jilly was cheating before. Um and it oddly wasn't even the first year when she threw down like a boss.
1: <laughs> yeah, the most I've ever written for a rough trade was the first time. <laughs> Although I've gotten <laughs> We did do it. We, we did do another 150k <clears throat> a year. But the 185 was the first time.
0: Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and that's we, just. And we both that's... went. But yeah, I've never written for, for Rough Trade. What's the point? Look, there are no points to win on Rough Trade. Any victory you have on Rough Trade is personal to yourself. There are no prizes. Why? Why would anybody pre-write for Rough Trade?
1: thing is, if I were pre-writing for Rough Trade, why would I ever fizzle? Why would I ever have projects that didn't go well? I mean, why or would I ever un, get,
0: you know, get... Or be unfinished a year or two later, because I have right. that. I have definitely have that. Why
1: would I become disillusioned with a project partway through? It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, there are projects that I've come into Rough Trade where I've been able to like envision how the whole thing was going to go, and it was like cl- super clear in my head, Um And other times when it's been a little bit more murky, even though I had it plotted, it's like a looser plot. And it was like I wasn't, I mean, I think that the one that was probably the biggest catastrophe, I got most of it written during Rough Trade, but it was like it was a hot mess for a while. It was a Leomoto, actually, because I got the first part out, scratched my head, and went, I gotta replot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's actually this person was in the chat last night after podcast, or probably in the podcast last night as well, because... I discussed Rough Trade after you left, talking about how it was reshaping. But we also discussed it before, you know, reshaping the um, Rough Trade. And I think it kind of like pushed their buttons or something. How I was talking about reshaping to continue making it a challenge. And I I feel sorry for you that you're so goddamn insecure that that's where you went with that. Honestly. And fuck you. (laughs) If you're here. And I know it has to be somebody that was here. Because these podcasts are not live anywhere. Yeah. Oh, Aaron, we really didn't discuss anything in depth on Rough Trade. I was just talking about the challenges because Senna asked a question about November. And then we started talking about the other challenges that are coming up. And so it, you didn't miss anything important. And also, it's really weird for people to compare my first draft to their first draft. Come on now. But if you're comparing my first draft to your final draft, and you're finding your final draft not working out for you? Then this podcast is for you. <laughs>
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> but
1: when I've been when I've been fr- I was when I've been frustrated in the beta relationship, I, or alpha for that matter, which alpha is a different podcast. I find that most of the time it was my failure to communicate. Not every time, but most of the time it's been my failure to communicate something, which is how I've learned and refined how I communicate with. Now I did I will say I did my <laughs> did fade with somebody um who felt like that like I'd given her like a task list which it wasn't a task list at all there was no do this do this do this it was more of a I've already done this I don't want you to do this it was more of a list of things not to do so it was interesting that she took it as a task list um because I was letting her know these are things that are already taken care of, and you know this is would, this is my how I prefer you approach like the whole thing about like don't make global changes, um, that kind of thing. Because I um, I don't want to waste their time. I don't want to waste my time, and especially since I tend to only have my longer works baited, it's a time suck. Yeah and there might as well be conservation of time and also i don't want to be frustrated so it's um it's really important to understand what you want out of the process and to communicate that clearly you don't want to however there's no point in having a beta or an alpha if you're just going to say if you're basically just expecting them to run spell check for you and you don't want any kind of feedback at all no i don't want any kind of I don't want to know about any kind of inconsistencies. I don't want to know about any kind of, if you're thrown out, I don't care. I don't want to know about this. I don't want to know about that. I don't want to if you don't want anything, you're just expecting them to run spell check for you. No, that we, what are oh, you doing?
0: By the, by the time I get to the beta process, all I really want is people to find my typos. That's often what I want to. <laughs> because this is another, <laughs> this is one things. Do you use one missing is, words? Cause I use words is, because of fibro. <laughs>
1: Here's one of Kira's pref- prefaces. Um, this is going to sound arrogant as fuck, but when it comes to grammar and punctuation, I am better than 95% of the people out there. Um,
0: well, yeah, you would have to be considering your education.
1: Yeah, and and probably better than 98% of the people who are willing to do beta work because um, not everybody who's really good about... Um, not everybody who who does beta work is... is um, I mean, not everybody who's great at grammar is actually, uh, does beta work. So, um, so yeah, sometimes when I, I'm really just looking for somebody to catch the typos, the, the word confusion, you know, the, the word mistakes that I just am not seeing because I've been, as you've heard the process of how many times I've read this document and I am seeing it. I had a sentence in a, in a document once. I was supposed to say he brought me socks. Um, mm. what I actually what I actually t- typed was "He me brought socks."
0: <laughs> you knew what you meant.
1: <laughs> the thing is, I had read this, and I've always been somebody who read my own work multiple times before sending it off to beta. My and the what the beta I had at the time, the way she handled things was, she just highlighted errors and sent it back. She so she didn't correct it; she just highlighted it. So I had to, I wrote her and I said what's the problem with this sentence? And she said, well, it's got some word order issues. And I go, no, it doesn't. She says, yes, it does. I said, no, it doesn't. I said, she says, read it out loud. And I said, he brought me socks. And we actually were on the phone together. Um, by this point where we we're on the phone together, because we, we, we actually were, got to be good friends over the course of her baiting for me for several years. And um, she says, okay, cover up everything, but the first word and read it out one word at a time. I said, he, me, br- oh, shit. <laughs> Because you see what you expect to see. Yes. And I could, I mean, I'm you know, sitting there telling her, it says he brought me socks. She says, no, it <laughs> no. doesn't say he brought me socks. And I said, yes, it does. <laughs> she says, say it one word at a time. I said, he brought me socks. <laughs> she says, it doesn't say that. <laughs> you know, but, and she was right. It did not say, it said he me brought socks. <laughs> so... <laughs> Which I could not see it because my brain was supplying the correct word order. Um, and the funny thing is, in anybody else's writing, I would see it because my brain is so literal. I would see that. I would see that mistake. I, w-
0: I wouldn't correct it. But because I wrote and it. One of the ways that you can prevent this is to give yourself a breather. Yeah. At least for me,
1: it's, that breather takes at least two or three weeks, if not longer.
0: I think two or three weeks is good for me, too. Um but also change the font. That can help too. Don't edit in the font you write in. Somebody
1: mentioned up above, I think Miss Erin said it. I have to scroll up. Yeah. um, That having Word read to you can help. I agree, but it can also be horrifying.
0: So. um, Yeah. There's nothing like the, the auto reader in Word saying the word cock.
1: Honestly, there's just something about the whole robotic nature of, it, it, it's not truly, it's not a robotic voice, but it's just the rhythm of it, which is kind of robotic. It's just like, oh my God, it, it just makes it all sound awful. <laughs> but yeah, you will notice that there's a word missing. You'd be like, wait a minute, what?
0: Because that's not sexy. <laughs>
1: um, the other thing that if you're willing to let word your works to you, which sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I'm down for this, it can help with is redundancy. You're like, wow, I just used that same word. Like, three times in the same paragraph i need to go deal with that
0: yeah my husband listens to audiobooks and he has one particular author and i won't name the author because it's not really important who the author is it's a sci-fi author and this author only uses the word said as a dialogue tag he uses nothing else but said can i tell you now see when you're reading that your brain will skip over it one of the reasons why they tell you to use said so m- more often than not in the narrative is because your brain, because the reader's brain's going to skip it, and it isn't going to stand out as a problem. In an audiobook, it fucking stands out as a problem.
1: Which is why using beats to indicate the speaker can be a good way to, to change things up. On the other hand, there's no excuse for using opined ever. <laughs>
0: I'm going to use opine the next chance I get No, you're not. Do not ever <laughs> use opine as, as, a, as, a, as a dialogue tag, you know? Look, if anybody, anybody, anybody that I write that would say opine, let me see. Who opined? I think the only person who
1: could use that in their because it has to be the, opine, the character's point of view, right? The only person who would use that word would be Hermione.
0: Loki. Oh, okay, Loki could, yeah Loki definitely opines, every chance he gets He opines, but who would say that? The problem Loki. is
1: But the problem is Who, he would say it about himself? Yeah, absolutely God I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that And am gonna send you some feedback And say, this should me right out of the narrative
0: It me be right out of the narrative <laughs>
1: There's actually there's actually lists out there of alternate uses words to use for said. Like sixty percent of them should never be used as an alternate for said. They're jarring as fuck.
0: And please, please, people who use Grammarly, don't ever accept Grammarly's suggestion that you use the word chirp. Human <sighs> beings don't chirp. Birds chirp. Well, you're going to well, the I corner mean- and you're staying there permanently.
1: There is, I mean, I could kind of see a context for a certain kind of character chirping. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, most of the time when they suggest chirp, it's not, like, Buck never chirps. I'm sorry. I mean, Grammarly suggested that I have Eddie chirp. I was like, come on. Really? Really, Eddie? He's not the chirpy sort. But, like, you could have, like, if you write something about, about Nia, like, she was, like, really happy and, like, fluttering around the backyard chirping. I mean, you know.
0: Yeah, but Nia is going to dialogue chirping. But she might, mommy. I want ice cream. Nia chirped. You know,
1: that might be somewhat plausible. High that pitch, would get, l- get you a letter voice. telling
0: you how much it threw me out of the narrative. Uh, it is honestly quickly <laughs> becoming my pet peeve. Whenever Grammarly says it, I just want to just yeet Grammarly out of my life completely. Grammarly,
1: and the funny thing about that is Grammarly doesn't usually spot dialogue tags very well. So it's very bizarre how it will suggest these. But Grammarly needs to step off my right unnecessary uh, ellipses. I mean, because how can it gauge whether or not an ellipses is un- unnecessary?
0: Look, I have apparently edited several million words with Grammarly. And let me tell you something, Grammarly. I have maybe had one, and I do mean one, unclear antecedent. Out of millions of words. One.
1: I actually just don't even bother checking it. I just don't even check that tab because um, it's so rare that my antecedent is actually unclear. On the other hand, other people's antecedents are unclear all the time.
0: <laughs> well, I would say also I'm, on sitting, there reading, I'm sitting there
1: reading what? fanfic and I'm going, your antecedent is unclear. <laughs> it's
0: really <laughs> unclear. Buck already could have been... Your hand is really unclear. <laughs> this me their only feedback. Um, I would not actually do that. I'm just being an asshole. But one thing I would suggest is if you use Grammarly, be very careful with clarity suggestions. I don't often actually even look at clarity suggestions. Because yeah, they will change the tone and intent of your sentence. Sometimes in a way that's actually problematic for your characterization
1: I actually only look at um, I've started it's it's become to the point that with Grammarly that I only look at what they consider the critical errors and I reject 90% of them Um, one of the things it will always
0: suggest, I'm just going to throw this out there, this has nothing to do with beta, well not, that's actually interesting, because I kind of thought it as a cheerful thing, but to see that it's actually complaining or taunting I never want to use it
1: yeah, I would I would have thought of like a high pitched kind of
0: cheerful sound as opposed to yeah. wow. Nope. That is that is the smirk of dialogue tags. Yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> I still never gonna use it. Grammarly will always, if you have the word of course, the words of the word of course anywhere in your discourse, Grammarly would tell you to put a comma after it. About seventy percent of the time it's wrong. Yeah. And it honestly shouldn't be. Because if, if you're using of course as emphasis, you should never put a comma after it. Also, sometimes of course is not the entire phrase by itself. So if I say, if, you know, someone says, you know, Bob, can I come over? Bob says, of course you can. There's no comma there because it's emphasis. It's not, um, it's not any kind of parenthetical phrase. So, um and this is one of those cases with of course where the comma can change the meaning. Like, um, of course Buck was the first person in the station. No comma is different than of course Buck was the first person in the station. Completely because the one different with the meaning comma
0: is ugly.
1: Right. Completely different meaning that comma.
0: Because it changes and, the tone.
1: Yeah, it does. And Grammarly will always tell you to put a comma after of course
0: also this is more
1: of a comment for betas than about prepping for beta but if you are running a grammar checker on somebody else's work you need to understand if you're going to accept a change that a grammar checker is suggesting to you you need to understand whether that change is right or not and if you don't know don't accept it and the reason is because the author who is trusting you to beta for them may think that may have not ha- have a lot of confidence in their own grammar and s- grammar abilities, grammar and punctuation abilities. And they may think you know more than they do. Right. And, and you may in most contexts, okay, you may know more about grammar and punctuation than they do, but they may, you may be inserting something that is erroneous because you're relying on grammarly, but this is one of those cases often where it's better if, no- if none of you know to reject it, it's to say no. So if a grammar checker is suggesting something um, and you don't have the expertise to evaluate whether or not the grammar checker is right, don't put that change in somebody else's document.
0: Also, something else. Um, About a year ago, I was working on one of my projects and I was making some changes that I wasn't sure I wanted to keep. Um, And... I hadn't made a second draft document. So I only had my first draft. And so I was in the middle of it. I didn't feel like closing it. So what I did was, is I turned on track changes. And I also had Grammarly running at the same time. Um, The problem is, is that track changes and Grammarly do not work well together. And several changes that I made didn't get tracked because Grammarly was interfering. So it's never a good idea to run track changes and Grammarly at the same time. Now Grammarly will, track changes will work with, words built in grammar and spell check but grammarly and track changes have conflict and it'll even tell you when you turn it on that this is in conflict they're not going to work well together or that you can't use grammarly while you have um changes on It'll, it'll tell you um and it's because sometimes the changes won't get tracked and I saw it firsthand when I was playing with a concept in in one of my works in progress. So what I did was I just closed it all out like I should have done to begin with. Made a, made a copy of the document and started working in the second document on the changes that I wanted to make. So just, you know, that's something to keep keep in mind. Especially when you're betting because you don't want any of your beta comments or changes not to show up and track changes. Because then you don't have yeah. like to ask. Comma
1: trauma. Comma trauma is a thing. So is a comma coma. Um, which is too many commas. <laughs> I, I baited for somebody once that put so many fucking commas. I mean, it. I swear, I probably took out 80% of their commas. And Rebecca, like, are you sure? I was like, uh, I'm not 100% certain because I'm pretty sure I'm in a comma coma, but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but when, it, when you send your document off for beta, I think the key thing is that you want it to be as good as you can get it. And often people are getting beta on because they have an area that they want help with. And some people just want to polish their work. Some people need help with something else. Some people get, really want beta because they're writing in a different language. We have a, I mean, and I'm really in awe of the sheer number of people we have who who English is their second language and who write in English. And I don't mean that they um, write in their native language and then translate in English. I mean, they've figured out how to write it in English and it's, it's just stunning to me. Um, and they really want, they really want and feel more secure with that sanity check that they're using the right words and that they've got, you know, their noun verb agreement and all that kind of stuff. And so it's really important. Um,
0: yeah, I know someone to, whose English is their third language who writes in English better than I do. I'm not <laughs> mad though.
1: <laughs> it's really important to communicate, um, that what's going on with you and what help you think you need, and so that the and and that the beta is capable of providing it. And if you're betaing for somebody and you don't think you're capable of providing the help that they think that they need, you need to communicate that. That's one of the reasons why we ask over on the Alpha Beta Connection, over on Just Right, is that you give a certain amount of information because people will, for will just put up. You know, I need a beta for a story, no length, no pairings, no what kind of help they need. Just you know sometimes to know
0: what the beta can bring to the table like whether it's knowledge of the fandom, whether it's um, no knowledge of the fandom, which is sometimes beneficial if you're writing something like what I wrote last year for um, Quantum bang um, to make sure that I'm getting all my context right and getting it, getting everything into my narrative I need for it to be um, to stand on its own, that was really important to me. Uh, and so it's okay to say, okay, this gra- this beta is really good at grammar. And this beta is really good um, at finding typos and plot inconsistencies that I might have missed or got missed in alpha, if you're using alpha. Um, and a lot of times, if you're not using an alpha and the first time anybody sees your work is in the beta, you're going to get a mixture of alpha and beta comments if you don't tell them specifically what you want. So you got to know what you want. And honestly, if you don't know what you want from a beta, you're really not ready for beta. And because that's part of the... I get time. It.
1: Yeah. I gather part of the discussion after I went to bed last night was people wondering how you can find your own, um, the issues in your own writing and how to work on them. And that's, that's part of that discussion too, is to know what you need and what you need help with and and how you want to develop. Because both alpha and beta readers can help with making you a better writer. But if, you know, if you're the reason you want a beta is just so that you can be lazy then, that Well, for starters, this podcast isn't for you because you've fallen Honestly, into my pet peeve. Honestly, none of
0: our podcasts are for you.
1: No, because you've fallen into my pet peeve zone of people who just want to write a rough draft and throw it over the wall and let somebody else clean it up for them.
0: Well, last night after in the after show, it's really weird that we have an after show. In the after show last night, we were talking about, and um, I talked about, you know, some of the weaknesses I had as a young writer, and one of them was dialogue. Now, these days, I would say that my dialogue is actually one of my best features as a writer. But when I first started, my dialogue was stilted and awkward and weird. And it was just honestly awful. Um, And so I went through, I talked about how I fixed that in myself and how I concentrated on um, how I spoke and how other people spoke. And um, when I watched TV, when I, when, um. I, I really pay attention to how characters move in a scene, how they speak, the words that they use, and it really helped my dialogue skills, so that's where that came from originally. We were talking about that, and, the, and those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while know that currently I'm trying to work on a couple of things. One of them is um, trying to figure out in my narrative structure where I need to deepen my POV, um, and where I'm comfortable in that in that range on the POV Uh, and also action I'm, I'm working on action and I have an action scene that I wrote for my quantum bang for next year. Um, I'm in my, I finished my first draft of my quantum bang. Um, So, you know, I can't tell you anything about it except that I wrote this action scene um, and I plotted it and I was like, this is going to be such a bitch to write. And um, but then when I wrote it, it was fine. I, it, it felt like I did okay. And so immediately I asked Julie to read it. And she says, yeah, that was fine. It was." I said, was it too short? And she said, no. <laughs> and I was like, you know, because I've been accused of being very abrupt in my action scenes. But on the other side of it is I wouldn't have wanted that to go on too much longer considering the content. And it was just a fight. It was just a physical fist fight, basically. But there were other factors involved. And I would not have wanted to stretch it out any further.
1: Yeah. And I think I mean like you got some complaints about the shortness of a certain scene in um the action scene in a um in Fall for You. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Fall for yeah. You? And the thing is, I mean my take on the action scene in that book was completely different than whoever was complaining about it because I think it was reflective of where also part of it was is they wanted um the the character who was involved in the scene to be saved rather than
0: Right. Like a damsel which, in distress.
1: Right, they did want that whole damsel in distress vibe, which is, I think, some next level silliness,
0: um, especially in a gay romance. I mean, right? <laughs> there um, literally was no damsel.
1: But the other thing is, is that I felt like it. It hit. I mean, I, I felt like
0: somebody who says that that scene needs to be longer has never
1: been in a violent scene and understand how fast those things can go. So I mean, it, you know,
0: honestly, I that kind of thing is quick, sharp, and mean.
1: Yeah. And that's, it read realistic to me, which is, you know, and the thing is, one of the things about sometimes who you ask for feedback is the person you know is going to tell you the truth. Or, um, and Kira's got, has people she knows are going to tell her the truth that she asked a question, was there an issue with this? Um, sometimes, somebody, sometimes somebody doesn't spot an issue, and that's not the same thing as somebody who won't tell you that they see an issue, because, like, they don't want to hurt your feelings or something. Um.
0: I'm, you know, talk about having a tough skin. um, And uh, and I hate that. I, I literally hate that whole toxic bullshit. You a, you'd have a thicker skin, Kira. Yeah, because what they're really saying is, is buck up and let me amu- uh, abuse you. Yeah. How dare you be offended by my verbal abuse of you? And I don't need a thicker skin. I have been professionally edited for 17 years. And I I never felt abused. But when someone tells you to have a thicker skin, it's because they've not given you constructive feedback. They've attacked your work for their own amusement. And how dare you not respond appropriately. Or the way they want you to.
1: Which apparently is usually just tuck your tail between your legs and go do what they want.
0: It would not be humble to say. And often, this is something that is just, this. This is a product of my age. I'm gonna put that right out there. Um, as a young woman, I was taught to be modest and humble, to never brag about myself or my accomplishment because that's rude. That's a mixture of generation and my my location, southern Southern Belle moment there. Um, so I, you know, the first time I told somebody that that I knew I was a really good writer, they were like. Arrogant much? i like, uh, no. Well, so I don't actually think that constructive criticism is a thing. Because when you approach a subject from a critical point, nothing you do after you approach it is constructive. So I really do not believe constructive criticism is a thing. There is constructive feedback, and there is cooperative... cooperative... Say it for me. Cooperative...
1: Well, cooper- Cooperative, what?
0: Um, that's the word it was coming out of my mouth. Um, engagement with other writers, and that's where you that that's where you learn. That's where you grow as a writer um, in the co op experience. Uh, in which you know, really, honestly, if you have a really good beta relationship or a good alpha relationship, that's a co op experience, um, and it that's where you learn and grow as a writer. But or really, almost honestly, in any craft. When you're with somebody who is nurturing and is just as creative as you are, and who's approaching your work with the same care and attention they would give their own. That's where you learn. Yeah. And you grow. Ed mentions that um, that
1: it also depends on the relationship between the author and the beta or the author and the alpha that once you've known someone for a while and worked with them for a while you can be a bit blunter without being taken the wrong way or misinterpreted and that's true i'm when i'm when i'm working with somebody for the first time i'm especially if i i I, if i also want to know how often somebody's been through beta and what their experiences of that are because um if someone's never been through that process before i'm much more gentle with them than um But like in a professional edit, I'm not gentle or harsh. It's not, it's just very matter of fact. These are your mistakes moving on. It's, it's almost clinical, if that makes
0: sense. And honestly, as a professional writer, that's where, that, that, that's what you want from from an editor. Um, You, you want that blunt caretaking of your work because people are going to be buying this. They're going to spend their dollars on it. Sometimes upwards of $12, depending on the print ending. I'm just saying. <laughs> and you you want to put out a good product. Because at that point, it, it's a product. It's no longer your word baby. When you sign a contract and you agree that a publisher can publish your work, you have, you are in the process now of creating a product. And if you're not in the headspace where you can create a product, you're not ready to be professionally published. That might sound harsh. But I'm just because no, You got to be hurt. able to let
1: go. I mean, it was, it was, I think one of the reasons why I resisted and didn't want to be professionally published for a long time is I was, I knew I was not going to be able to handle letting go and letting my writing be somebody else's product. I knew I wasn't going to be able to. It took me a long time to get to that plate, but not my creative writing. I mean, obviously, I've let my, my technical writing be somebody else's product for, you know, a long damn time, but that's really different. Um, but, you know, the only, I think that when it comes to professional writing situations, the only time I'm a little softer is when I'm telling somebody they need to remove something. Or, because the thing is, depending upon the way their contract is written, often it's more of a suggestion that they remove something. So, ordering them to remove something is not going to happen. So, it's sort of softening it. Like, this seems like it's an unnecessary scene, or for these reasons, or this is affecting your pace here. Maybe we could move this information around, or whatever. And I will soften that a little bit because I'm not just delivering a correction. It's a suggestion that they make a change and send it back. And I do tend, but I take a much softer approach to editing with a fan fiction writer. Um, But, um, you know, once I, um, there's someone in the chat room that I, you know, edit for beta or more more often alpha these days um, on a fairly regular basis. And we've gotten to the point where I can be fairly blunt with, with her about, um, issues and, and we'll talk very bluntly about how she's progressing. Um, and, uh, she's getting tons. She's, she always, I really admire, um, her dedication to finding the issues in her craft and working on them. And I think that's key. It's the desire to find the issues. And, uh, because that's where you're going to get the most out of something like from an alpha reader is, when you say, what are my issues and and how do I spot them and, and how do I work on them? But um, not everybody's open to that kind of thing. Now, I, when I first started doing like alpha read type stuff for Kira, I think one of the first things I did like an alpha read for was courting Hermione Granger. And... Um, I think so. You, you asked me, and I was like, and the thing is I knew you were very emotionally attached to that story at that point especially like the hermione's journey and I was seeing and I was like you're like is there an you know is there an issue and I'm like and they're going yes but I'm like how do I phrase it I don't want to like hurt her feelings
0: and <laughs> it was, was like, and it's actually honestly still is my word baby but what she did tell me was absolutely 100 accurate
1: <laughs> and I mean, see, I read it and I felt like I'd just been punched in the face so I was like how do I phrase that like um how do I phrase this <laughs> and I, I tried to you phrased it i don't remember our phrase either but i did deliver it very delicately i was very like cautious about how i said that i think something like needed to be put in between those two scenes to kind of soften it a little bit just a little bit because i said they're both very intense basically and i was just trying i kind of gave like 500 words of explanation when you know 10 words would have (laughs) done yeah put something
0: put something (laughs) between there too much put off by anything you said to be honest but then you
1: know as i've gotten to to know kira Moore, and we've worked together on stuff and i know how she's going to react to things that i say um so like when she sent me unleash your demons and said i feel like this is the beginning of unleash your demons so there's something going went wrong here at the beginning i feel like i don't remember what you said you thought the problem was
0: i thought i had a pain problem yeah
1: you thought you had a pace issue. As it
0: turned out, I had a characterization problem. Yeah.
1: And I wrote back. I said, "No, I don't think it's pace. This is what I think is the an issue." And, um, and it, it, was, was. it was. It, it was, was much quicker. It was much quicker. It was just like three sentences. <laughs> but um,
0: she told me that about courting Hermione Granger, and then I wrote a chapter <laughs> in yeah. between the two events because if you've read courting Hermione Granger, I went straight, and I do mean straight from their ritual marriage honeymoon slash thing to the home invasion so that whole chapter in between did not exist before the alpha read <laughs> <laughs> yeah those two events back to back
1: which is how I read it I was like oh my god <laughs> I actually couldn't re- respond right away because I felt like I'd just been run over by a truck
0: <laughs> because that's actually that was just my plot document that's how I plotted it and I was just like Shh. "I just, I just kind of plowed through that story so quickly um but when I read it, I, I did feel like something was off, which is why I asked for an alpha read. And sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. I said I that backwards, didn't I? The trees for the forest?
1: No, you said it right. Forest for the trees. Okay. You're okay. so busy looking at the trees, you can't see the bigger issue. It's like you're so focused on the micro that you can't see the macro.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, it was. it. You know, looking back on it, and it a like, like, like about six months after I published it, I read that to the point of the ritual marriage. And then I skipped the chapter in between just to see how I felt about it with a little bit of distance. And it really was like getting punched in the face. It was like, wow. wow.
1: And it is hard to see your own issues because you are, it's like, it's like creating um, like a, like a topiary or something where you're trying to craft something without ever stepping back and looking at it from far away. I mean, you don't know if it's crooked, <laughs> you know, you, and it's, it's easy to have, you know, the 50, 50 foot view and go, okay, that's crooked. That's the easy thing to do. It's harder to be in there making it. Um, and somebody said in the chat, they appreciated that I could give that feedback without making somebody fucking like an idiot for not realizing what the problem was. And I think that's really key when you're baiting for somebody or alpha reading is that recognize that they wouldn't be asking for help if they weren't stumped. And it's usually because the writer is way too close to the problem. You know? And if they had three months to step away from it, they might go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: It, you are know, looking back on it, I did realize there was something going on, but it just, that honestly was a pacing problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you want to have a moment, go read that with that chapter out. Skip
0: it, just skip
1: it entirely. Go from one to the and next. You will,
0: you will have Jilly's experience um, um, as an alpha reader without all the typos. I'm sure there's some typos, but not a lot. I don't want to hear about it.
1: <laughs> I did a fair bit of alpha reading, I think, in the last year or so, and um, I find I think I'm a better alpha reader actually than I am a beta reader, um, but even i mean sometimes the alpha read is just outside of somebody's skill set like if somebody sent me something way outside of a fandom i read and said what's going what's wrong with this i'd be like it's possible i might spot it and it's possible i might be like i have no idea (laughs) because it depends upon the nature of what the issue is if it's something that's fandom centric but if i I I can't follow the story
0: i I think you could probably spot a pacing issue
1: Pretty easy if I can follow the story. Because yeah. if I'm if I'm super confused, um, that's true. I did make Ellie's story double in length, <laughs> which was probably not the what she was hoping for when that started.
0: <laughs> well, sometimes you get more than you ask for. That was great. And sometimes great you story, think though. you have a. Sometimes you think you have a small idea when you don't. Sometimes your idea is huge and you don't even know it. Yeah. When in doubt on your working title, write down all the themes of your work that you expect to have and then go to Google and put in the theme like say justice and poem as your search terms and then you will find a poem that has that theme in it and then within that poem you may or may not find your title (laughs) or theme plus quote like justice and quote. Because essence of word comes from a quote.
1: Yeah. Or if there's a song um, that the, your your idea makes you think of or that you can maybe find your title from the lyrics. Um,
0: like Jilly's These Small Hours, that's a line from Little Wonders by John John Mayer. Rob Morrow. Rob Morrow? Yeah. They're the same difference. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did I get his name right? I feel like I got his <laughs> name wrong. I think Rob Thomas. <laughs> Thomas Rob Morrow is completely different. <laughs> as an actor.
0: Which <laughs> which is not the the same yeah. I wonder if he'll put on a, a thigh holster for us. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but, anyways, yeah, we were talking about that particular story, and I told her about that song, Little Wonders, and she wouldn't listen to it. And then she named her story These Small Hours, which was honestly an excellent title choice. Yeah. But yeah, yeah you can often I mean, just... find your titles in po- poems, quotes, and songs
1: because um actually because the the story um was making kira think of the song the song so it it really did fit and uh, i mean i could have called it little wonders but these small hours fit better
0: i think if i was going to call it thick little wonders it would have to have a whole bunch of kids in it like that is definitely a drop it thick in the making
1: <laughs> yeah right <laughs>
0: Actually um I have named my wish baby Fic and I have made cover art for it. You're not going to be an art tease, are you? Yeah, well it isn't like it's got it's it's actually kind of generic but I wanted it to be. So it's not. it, it doesn't have a character on it. It's something um a little different. Oh. That's really sweet. So that is um from the song um it's from Cinderella. Yep. A dream is the wish is the wish that your heart makes. Yeah. Or is it a wish? A dream is a wish that your heart makes. The wish that your heart makes. I think it's so, yeah. a wish. Yeah. That's really sweet. Well, Bucky is a goddamn Disney prince. Right?
1: <laughs> that was in bi theoretically, right?
0: Yeah, it was in bi theoretically, yeah. <laughs> Which is honestly one of my f- my favorite Bucket Eddie fix. Eddie's just having just one crisis after another because Buck's too attractive, <laughs> and he's a goddamn Disney prince. <laughs> and really, in Eddie's mind, in that moment, that was not a compliment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, none of that was a compliment for Eddie. He's like, God, Eddie was so beleaguered in that he was just like.
0: <sighs> it's the one where Buck decides to. Well, see, Eddie comes out as gay, and then Buck decides he wants to take a ride on that. Um. And he keeps like throwing himself out there and but but Eddie's not catching it. So he just gets progressively worse at work to the point where he's washing the captain's car with no shirt on. <laughs> he's just trying to get laid, okay? Repeatedly <laughs> he keeps washing and like nobody drives this car, nobody drives that vehicle. And then he plays the fuck list his fuck list in the car on the way home. Somebody asked me if fuck lists were a thing. I thought to myself, have you never gotten laid? Yes of course they are I mean I've had a fuck list since college <laughs> It used to be on tape Now it's an mp3 playlist
1: <laughs> I had this fuck buddy um, His sole fuck list Was enter Sandman on repeat
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it you should, you should put that in a fix somehow <laughs>
1: Probably Honestly a I can't I can't hear <laughs> Enter Sandman without thinking about Him it just <laughs> well,
0: yeah, a fuck list is a list of songs you have sex to. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, I will say that every fuck list I've ever had in my whole life, somewhere on that list was "Let's get it on,"
1: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> and sexual healing. <laughs> Honestly, if you've never had sex, sexual healing—you've not had sex. <laughs> I think Fooled
1: that. Around and Fell in Love should be in, uh, uh, for somebody you care about. You shouldn't have Fooled Around and Fell in Love on a fuck list with somebody you're a fuck buddy's with because right, no. that sends the wrong tone.
0: I mean, if it's a fuck buddy, you want to go with things like, come on, feel the noise. <laughs> 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 a hurricane. She rocks me like a hurricane.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, I will tell you something, Gnome. Some people don't have rhythm without music. So some people need a little auditory instruction to get that groove. Okay. That's, that's all I'm saying.
1: Ensuring somebody's groove is a good thing.
0: <laughs> I was about to go, what? No, there's more to it than that. <laughs> you, I'm half tempted. You to a professional.
1: I'm half <laughs> tempted to send, put hers in the corner for that.
0: <laughs> I put her in the corner forever earlier, and I forget why, but I still mean it.
1: Vickage, that's really tragic. Oh, you mean closer, Dema? Closer. Yeah, I. You, 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 I mean, that's that's the song for um the fuck buddy you have really intense sex with.
0: Was <laughs> oh, <is> that <laughs> that song with the fuck you like an animal? Yeah, there is a fantastic uh video on that um, on YouTube. And honestly, one of my favorite sexy videos on YouTube for fandom is um, Thanks for the Memories. It's a Stargate Atlantis one. And they spliced sex scenes from Queers Folk into it. It's nice. Really? So you need to yeah. find this
1: video. So, we'll wrap up the beta discussion. When it comes to getting your story ready for beta, you... When I send it off to beta, other than running Grammarly, because I do that last. That's the last thing I do. um, You want to have that story be in the condition it would be if you were about to post it. You're like, I've made it as good as I can make it. If I didn't have a beta, I'd post it now. Um, Because that way you're going to get the most you can get out of the beta. And I don't... I mean, people's skill levels are in different places when it comes to... Their own ability to edit their work um and one of the key things honestly um we didn't talk about this earlier one of the Kira mentioned it a little bit um a few minutes ago when it comes to improving your own writing one of the <laughs> um <laughs> when it comes to improving your own writing um one of the best things you can do do is uh Give yourself space and time. One of the things I find with fan fiction writers is that they're in a hurry. They've finished it. They want to get it out. They want to get it through beta as quick as possible. If you give yourself a few weeks um, to, to go back and read the story before you send it to beta, you're going to catch more of your own problems. Um, one of the people I work with, she definitely um, sees more of her own problems that she gives it, Two, three, four weeks. Three weeks is a good number. Two sometimes can be a little fast. Three to four weeks, you start seeing your own issues. If you know you have a problem with you know transitions or you know you have a problem with using redund- word redundancy or sentiment redundancy or whatever, you'll see that better when you give yourself space. Um, so give yourself time. go back and reread your own story. Because your edit before you do all your shenanigans should be um, after you've given yourself some distance. Now sometimes if you're doing something for a challenge, this is where I get into trouble, is I'm running up against my deadline and that stuff, that story is coming off the, hot off the presses like 24 hours before. And I'm relying on Grammarly to make it readable. You know, my own reread, because I do reread it, but it's, it's, I'm catching fewer of the typos. So, I mean, that's that's a hit I'm taking on, on the, the typos is that I didn't have time to give it space. So um, that's the best thing you can do is give yourself space and then make the story as good as you can get it before you send it off to beta because the cleaner your story is, the more you will get out, especially if you've got a good beta, one who can give you feedback because the more they're doing your line edits, the less feedback they can give you about anything else. And that's just, I mean, if I'm having to put a correction in every 10 words, I'm not able to absorb other issues. Think about that. Think about, and and I'm not making that up. That's that number up. And actually the worst I ever edited was a correction every six words. uh. If, I, if, a li- if somebody's line editing to that level of detail, all they can focus on is sentence structure. They're not able to absorb your pace. They're not able to absorb consistency. It's just impossible because your error rate is so high. So you're going to get more out of beta if your story is cleaner. Because they can see more problems. They can see your consistency issues. They can, they can spot that your character's eyes change colors. Whereas if they're putting in corrections at the rate of one or two every sentence, as opposed to one or two every paragraph, or less would be optimal. Um, if they're putting in multiple changes per sentence... They can't absorb, and it wouldn't be expected that they would be able to, because they are, they are focused at a micro level, at that sentence structure level, and that's all you're going to get out of them. And that's my best advice about getting your story ready for beta. Is give yourself, my best advice is give yourself some time, when your story is done, to be able to reread it and really absorb what you've written, so that you can do a really good final draft yourself. And for Before God's sake, to... spell check.
0: And don't be an asshole. That's just general life lesson. Don't be an asshole. The world would be a much better place. Today I was I was um, writing on my Requiem story. And um, there's a line where Daniel Buckley is talking to Eddie. And they're on their way to have a conversation with his parents. And Daniel is acting ha- as his lawyer. Um, he says, sometimes I think the, the opposite of love is corruption and not hate. So, And we live in a terrible world. So not being an asshole would just be great for everybody else. If you could just not be an asshole, you know,
1: I, mean, I always thought the opposite of love was apathy because love and hate are both very intense emotion. It's very easy to turn love to hate. Mm-hmm. You know, just it's like a little twist of the screw. Um, but apathy is nothing.
0: Mm, yeah. There's really no coming but back I like, from apathy. Yeah.
1: But I like that. Li- I like the line that you mentioned. That's really good. Corruption.
0: I really like Daniel as a character. Um, but then I, I really always. Like him too. Basically I like any original. Ba- he He's basically an original character. To me. Because. To everyone. He right, doesn't exist in he canon. He doesn't exist. He's just a name. So you can make him whatever you want to make him. Um, which is kind of like Patrick Shepard. It's the same way. He's just a name in canon. You can make him be anything. We at least see David Shepard a little bit. In Stargate Atlantis. Um, yeah. But we, we, we don't even know Patrick's name. Until he's dead. I think maybe it comes up. I don't know. Is Daniel in the same league as Maddie? Well, Maddie is wholesale my character, which is an entirely different ball game than fleshing out a character that officially exists in canon. Um, so I would put Daniel Buckley along the lines of David Shepherd, whom we see Daniel briefly, like in a flashback, right? Or no? No. Well, we haven't had a Maddie Begins episode, have we? Not really. No, we
1: haven't. We might eventually get, but if we do, we're not going to ever see him over the age of six or seven. And that's not, you can't do much with that character wise. I mean, who said he liked, he liked macaroni and cheese and skateboards. That's not much to build characterization on.
0: I would say he's more
1: like Patrick in terms of the fact that he existed, but we have nothing on him.
0: Right. So but I do I do love the character that I've created. He's um he's sarcastic and um bright and protective and uh he really loves his brother and sister. He tells he he tells Eddie at one point that he really wanted to keep Buck close, but he loved him enough to let him go. Um but then he also used the very first opportunity he had to get right back in Buck's space. <laughs> He's living in New York. Buck's living in Los Angeles. Buck has this monumental life change happen. And Daniel's 100% in. He's like, I'm moving here. <laughs> Tried to leave his law partner. His law partner said, wait, I'm moving there too. <laughs> and it was also an opportunity, I think, for Maddie to come home too. Because Maddie was living in Italy after her divorce. Um, and so I guess the I, I haven't really explored that part for her yet. But I would think... That knowing that both her brothers were going to be in the same place, and then there's this ish, there's there's this new element in Buck's life, um, which I want to keep it just a secret, just a little bit. It's going to come out like in the first like two scenes of the story. You're going to see it, so it's not too much of a secret. But I do want it because it's like the inciting event, really. Um, that they have this thing going on, and she like a hundred percent wants to be a part of it, right? So she's definitely got you know a fear of missing out. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> That's awesome, Sina. I, you know, I'm probably going to have a hard time writing big projects going forward where Daniel's dead. <laughs> I've, I've kind of ruined myself a little bit, honestly. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's terrible. Because he's really likable. When you said, um, when you said the thing about Daniel let Buck go because he loved him thing. Mm-hmm. This is completely different sentiment. Completely different sentiment. But it made me think of this, which always gives me the giggles. If you love someone, set them free. If they come back, it means nobody else liked them, set them free
0: again. (laughs) (laughs) Or you don't have pity on them and keep them. Whatever. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. But yeah, I mean, you get the, when you, when you meet Daniel, you get the idea that he really wanted to keep both of his siblings very close so he could keep an eye on them, you know, and, but, you know, they both kind of flee. you know, they fled their circumstances in Pennsylvania. He ended up in New York. Buck eventually ended up in Los Angeles and Maddie was in Italy. So. Oh, and Shannon was- lives in this book. Vic- <coughs> her and Eddie are divorced. And Requiem. Because so.
1: that's a sensible thing for them to have done.
0: <laughs> but I will tell you that my headcanon for Shannon is that she actually never wanted to be a mother.
1: Yeah. My headcanon, too.
0: She wanted Eddie, but she didn't want a family. I think she wanted Christopher
1: for sometimes, but not like on a...
0: She wants to be the fun parent.
1: Yeah. Not like No, no, no. She
0: wants to be the fun aunt. Yeah. Fair not point. The yeah so that we me instead of we drifted briefly it, i'm sorry <laughs> i drifted <laughs> with your wife <laughs> well i don't know if that's okay <laughs> chris chris but the
1: funny thing is i could see her not wanting to be a parent but also being intensely jealous about chris having another parental figure in his life so i mean i could see that going both ways
0: i agree but that could- i think that she doesn't want to be a parent, but she would see somebody else in his life being a parent besides Eddie. It, I, th- I think she'd be intensely jealous. Yeah. So, I, you know, honestly, I would really, like, I really do want to write write a fic where Buck ended up taking Shannon and Christopher to the, do- to the pier. And, like, I have the whole thing kind of plotted out in my head where he's, you know... Like even this little thing where he didn't really want to leave them alone on the truck. But she's like, you really have to go do your job right now. We're okay. <laughs> Tying the kid up on the truck. Yeah, Look, he's not going anywhere. He's tied up with a hose. He's fine. <laughs> Just go out there and do your job. <laughs> and every once in a yeah. while, he, like, calls out Buck to the truck. And they're, like, calling out. Their, you know, they're calling out who they are. And, and eventually, there are, like, ten people on this truck calling out. <laughs> <laughs> While he's working, I have this whole thing picked. And meanwhile, this is really told in a video format because Eddie is waiting for them to be for the he's watching these videos on Instagram that Chris posted. So he's seeing all this, not knowing where his family is. And he's basically watching his family own this. They're owning this natural disaster. <laughs> out there saving people and shit. And eventually he ends up finding the three of them at a hospital. So um, in in my pot, in my head. I think
1: that's adorable. I've wanted to write a Buck and Shannon at the pier
0: with Chris that
1: day, since I mentioned in what, st- I can't remember which story I mentioned where Christopher says, maybe mom can come with us to the pier. And Buck's like,
0: what? is that you the know? one where the people end up in trees and sing songs?
1: No, that's actually, that's the one we plotted with the soul, with the uh, Sentinel thing. Ah. Uh.
0: That's that a sentinel would be one. Hilarious.
1: That would be. That, that's the sentinel one. That's in the sentinel plot drift, where Buck as becomes a sentinel during the tsunami, and he puts Christopher in a tree and makes him sing Disney songs. Um, and then, um, but no, that that one. I think it's in the soulmate story um, when Buck's taking Christopher to the pier. Um, Christopher wants to. He thinks maybe Mom can come with us, and both Shannon and Buck are both kind of like, maybe some other time. <laughs> <laughs> But we did a little bit of a plot drift. Um, about, I think it was on one of the nine one one podcasts where we talked about. Um, uh, remember them them putting a like a ladder up to a second story apartment and yes, um,
0: and it ended up being Owen Owen's strand. Owen's mother's,
1: yeah, yeah. That's been kind of stuck in my head of them like instead I of being love on to the fire see
0: that. and like Christopher ends up being their dispatch. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So like I and like instead of being on the fire truck, is are up in that apartment and they just keep rescuing people up into that apartment? Maybe they use maybe they use gear on the truck to rescue people up to the second story apartment instead. And so they've just got this whole apartment full of people up there.
0: Aaron, I don't think so. I think those are all waiting to be edited. Um so sorry, but I am gonna work on that, actually. Um I, I need to pack four or I, five I, podcasts to edit.
1: I need to figure out your process of uh, of uh, going through Audacity to help
0: you with these. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. Well, what I could do is make them MP3s, and then you could edit MP. You could you could help me edit MP3s. Well, I
1: have Audacity, so that yeah. wouldn't be
0: because amazing. because basically, I have been editing as an MP3. I make mic- I put the together unless there's like an auditory problem that I need to fix um in which there hadn't been lately um I just put them together as an mp3 and then I edit out all I just delete the large pockets of silence oh good good choice um anyway so the beta
1: thing is just the key thing is take responsibility for your own work I think that's the key thing is it's your story and you need to own it it's not the betas responsibility. So there is a laundry list of things that i do and if there's a bunch of stuff i'm going to do for my story um i do that before i send it to beta. And like w- my one big exception is um i happen to do grammarly after beta. But I'm gonna i to do... try that
0: next time. I like, do the word grammar cuz like i said i've been avoiding
1: the word grammar. It's gotten so much better it's I, I'm really surprised because you know for a long time it, it would always tell you to change breath to breathe which was like we were all like how can you still not work for like for like 15 years words grammar checker was telling I, I blame people's breath and breathe when I see breath and breathe can take a deep breathe when I see that in a story I don't even I don't even blame the author I just blame word I assumed it was en- word yeah I, I I I know I figure they're old enough to have encountered words original grammar checker
0: um but that was a really unfortunate sentence that I just read Chris. That is I, I just kind of ha- oh <laughs> I just half read it and I thought you found what in your house? <laughs> what? I don't she's understand just, it in any she's fashion. Having the bones of a ba- She's getting she's having her house built. Oh, so okay. she has the bones of a baby house happening. She's got a little house and she's having it built um on the land that she bought. But I thought she said she found baby bones in her house. <laughs> I was like, what?
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
0: It's shocking.
1: <laughs>
0: Tony's way too old for
1: Buck. What are you talking about? Oh, Bucky. Okay, okay. Uh, I brain reset.
0: <laughs> yeah, I need a reset too because Tony D'Onofrio could actually be his daddy. Honestly, so could Tony Stark. Um, I. Yeah,
1: yeah, but I, either either Tony, I I, I I saw I didn't see the Bucky. I saw Buck, and we've been talking about 911. So
0: I. I want any yeah, interview has it come up tonight at all? <laughs> yeah, any any
1: Tony is too <coughs> old for him.
0: <laughs> so yeah, but I I
1: my, I took it just took me a minute for my brain to 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 tra- change tracks there. But I do think they really the key ingredient is know what it is that you're <sighs> going to do because n- Document your process. You know, like we've talked about the whole searching for the word shit. A lot of people use have had typos where they meant shirt or shift and they got shit instead. Know that you want to search for the word shit and evaluate your usage of it in your story. That's not a bad thing to have in your list of things to do to finish I up your I would say story. have a
0: whole list of words that you might have used incorrectly and check for them.
1: Yeah, I, I do have a whole list. And sometimes that list is different for a story because it will have... Um, different names in it. Like, I think it's really important. And I'm going to throw this out there. I think it's really important and res- it's a matter of respect for your fandom to spell the characters' names right. Yeah. Okay? And if you're somebody who can't, for whatever reason, you can't get the names right. And I understand there are reasons why people don't get the names right in their draft. They don't see them right. Well, that's more of a typo. But <laughs> the people who spell who spell like Taylor or Ronan wrong or or um, misspell John Shepard's last name?
0: Oh, um, speaking of Shepard, so John Shepard has two P's. Yeah. Well, the Shepard in Mass Effect has one. Um, so I had to go back and do a mass replace on Shepard in Mass Effect because I kept writing the other one. I would have the same problem in NCIS. If I was writing, she,
1: it's spelled with one p. And there's another character who's that's named Shepherd. I can't remember which. It's spelled the like like the herding sheep Shepherd. Oh. Um, Jenny Jenny Shepherd is one one p. But it's not a matter of you need to know this off the top of your head. But as part of you finishing up your draft and preparing for beta, is check your character names. If you know you always spell Ronan R O N I N, and it's supposed to be R O N A N go and do a mass, go a search for R-O-N-I-N and make sure you've spelled it properly. <coughs> or R-O-N-O-N. You know, whichever um, whichever Ronin you're writing about, honestly. Um, yeah. Same there's, goes, there's, yeah. There, there's a Ronin of all in, in this, there's Ronans of all three spellings. Um, spell your characters' names correctly. If you can. I mean, like the difference in Abby's last name is an I-U versus a U-I which is really hard to see. And like Janet Fraser's In Stargate, um, it's F R A I S E R as opposed to F R A S I E R. That I get that that's difficult to see and difficult to catch, but it's actually I that up. It's one of the things I search for because I've screwed up her name, last name, repeatedly. Um, But especially your main characters, and especially their first names, you owe it to—I mean, it's a respect for your fandom that you obviously love—to get the character names spelled correctly. So make that part of your, I'm going to search for this, as part of my prep for beta. Because you know something? If you're spelling the character's name wrong every single time, it's not your beta's job to catch that.
0: I used to spell Dolores wrong all the time, because my Aunt Dolores didn't spell her name that way. All the time. That should, be par- <clears throat>
1: that should be part of your writerly checklist before you send something off to beta, is if you know... You- I'm not saying make your fingers work differently. I'm saying make it part of your thing that you search for S H E P P A R D and change it to S H E P A R D because because it get get your get your characters' names that's part of finalizing your draft to go off to beta because it's not your beta's job to make sure because it's one of the things I find often that beta's also miss. Is oh and I also
0: used to misspell Jenny's name in Harry Potter because I thought her name was Geneva after Minerva.
1: As opposed to Genevra.
0: Yeah. For the longest time, I called her Generva. I I just I don't know why I put that in my brain that she was Generva after Minerva instead of the other one. Yeah.
1: So this is not about like you know I I understand reader pet peeves. I get it. I don't like to see names spelled wrong. It drives me at the wall too. This is more about like a a part of the writerly process
0: and knowing and, your knowing your little issues with it too, so you can go look for them. Right. So if you know you
1: spell um, a name wrong, get just make make a point of getting it right. In your I'm not saying learn to type it differently. I'm saying make this is part of making notes of your weaknesses and addressing them in your part of your final draft process. Just like, you know, looking up ordinance versus ordinance or, you know, whatever other words that you tend to weary versus weary, you know, if you make that mistake a lot, you might want to look up all your instances of weary because it's not such a commonly used word that you're gonna be. Um, burdened by having to look at every instance of weary to make sure it shouldn't be weary. Right. Um, if Kira can look at every instance of it, you can look at every instance of weary.
0: I'm more often using the word IT apostrophe S wrong than I am ITS. So that is a benefit, knowing, knowing where your mistakes are. Yeah. And there's some mistakes it's harder to catch um,
1: in a story. Like if you're somebody who inadvertently Plural. I mean, uh, make something possessive when it should be plural, and you do that to a lot of different words. That's going to be very difficult to catch because there's just not an easy way to search that, other than to look for everything that's apostrophe s. And that's just. So I'm not saying. But that becomes
0: an issue of mechanics that you need to work on as a writer.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit different. I mean, because I mean, honestly, if your beta is having to insert, you know, three hundred corrections because you consistently get that wrong that's something that you need to take that on board that your beta is c- having to correct that over and over and over and over again. And, um, and your beta is a
0: saint for doing it. Cause I wouldn't.
1: Right. And you need to work on doing that differently. So, um,
0: so you could make a list of things that you look for in each fandom. Like if you're doing Harry Potter, make a list of all the names to make sure you get them spelled right. Um, look, look for a private drive because that's not annoying. <laughs>
1: And I know that's an autocorrect thing. Yeah. I know it's an autocorrect thing. But if you've if you've decided you want to leave autocorrect turned on, which why do you have autocorrect turned on? But whatever. If, if that's something you want to do. If you well, got I have a custom
0: autocorrect, so
1: I do I have it I only have autocorrect turned on for um things like the names all those stupid diacritical marks in the here, in the hobby. Right. Fandom. Right? Jesus fucking Christ. Um but if if you have autocorrect turned on and you know that it's uh, all of your instances of private drive are going to get changed to private drive just do a search for private drive and fix it you know make a list just have your list of things that you do a search and you do search for evaluate does this need to be changed if it does change it it's it's maybe an hour uh, maybe an hour and a half if my list is long and the story is big of going through my document and searching for words or phrases or names And making sure that that stuff is as on point as I can make it so that I'm not pushing off that responsibility onto somebody else. Because that's what, where I see the breakdown in the prepping for beta process is people pushing their author responsibility onto the beta. And that's not what beta is for. Beta is for the things that you can't do yourself. Giving you that second set of eyes, helping you find those mistakes you couldn't find, helping you spot those inconsistencies that you missed, helping you with the things that are throwing the reader out of the narrative, giving you that final check, that sanity check to make sure the story is ready for posting. It is not to run your spell check. It's not to help you with making sure your character names are spelled right. I mean, I think, I think that it would help if authors reset their frame about what Beta is, and there's there are way too many people out there who have created this narrative that they just and you know they talk about it on you know that group that shall not be named on Facebook um, that they just finished their rough draft and send it off to beta and I'm just like I just finished my chapter and sent it to beta. Did um, you really? Holy crap! <laughs> Did you I'm really? sitting there going, holy crap!
0: I'm glad I'm not your beta. <laughs> now, if you're curious, I don't. Do this full ass process on short works. No, but I don't beta on short works either. No, I don't. Um, on a short work, I'll usually write it sometimes in a day if it's really short, like those 5K things I've been putting out. Um, Where well, I was trying, I was just really trying to explore Eddie's POV from for Requiem, um, even though Buck is the primary, is the main character in Requiem. Um, but I felt like my Eddie POV was a little off, but I've been working on it. It's because in the show, he's really emotionally reserved. Until he's not. There's like, he's chill and then he's zero chill. There's yeah. no, no in-between. And so I needed to find my in-between. I needed to find a way to help him grow as a character in my own head. Anyway, so that's why I was doing all those short works um, in a variety of ways, just to just to explore that. But with those works, I usually write it one day, give it a couple of days, read it, do a spell check in a Grammarly and a post-it. Well, I read it and correct it and then do a spell check. So I usually do two drafts with a short story. So, because it's a short story, you're welcome. <laughs> Get off my tit. <laughs> yeah, with, with a short
1: story in the same way, I will, even if it's of a thousand words, I will give, give myself a little space and go back and reread it. And there's still stuff I miss because, as we talked about before, my brain will supply because one of the things I'm the worst at is dropping words and my brain will supply the missing word particularly short words like articles conjunctions yeah um they'll just my brain will put it in so if they're missing that's or sometimes they'll be doubled or a phrase will be like a you know a phrase will be doubled um and i just my brain just skips the doubling so and even with because i haven't given myself a couple of weeks between finishing it and rereading it but you know, my investment in something that's a thousand words is a lot less than my investment in something that's, you know, a hundred thousand words or whatever, or even something that's 40,000 words. It's just, it's different because it's not just the investment in the writing and the editing, which is huge, it's the time investment in the plotting and the character work. It's, 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 there's a whole thing around it. So I'm more likely to get beta on a bigger project than something teeny tiny i you know sometimes i get really caught up or really attached to a small project and i really want a beta i'm pretty sure i had the fourth want baited um but it was a lot because of my own it was the first hannibal work i'd done and i'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. i did have that baited and i was very insecure about
0: it but that's, you know, that's when knowing yourself and knowing yourself as a writer is really important. Knowing that, you know, not even like when the links isn't the problem is that your confidence in the work is the problem and that you need a second pair of eyes on it. You know, so and that's perfectly reasonable. And knowing that is just it's really good. Yeah.
1: So I, I want to just th- also say about beta is you don't need to get a beta if it makes you uncomfortable. Somebody described the beta process they when they did it the very first time. And I was the first person to beta for them. And I gave them kind of bare bones beta. But, they, but honestly, they're a really clean writer. They don't really need a lot of help. So I just was, it was just a straight grammar and punctuation kind of thing. Um, and they described it as, um, how'd she put it? Being scrubbed down with a wire brush or something like that. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like that, that, the, that was basically the phrase they used. But in my head, I translated it to a Silkwood shower kind of thing. I was like, holy crap. Um, but at the same time they said it it wasn't bad. It was just, you know, it was difficult. Is right? there so, anxiety
0: more than your I think so. I yeah. think it was I think it was Honestly, I think if you have that kind of anxiety, protect yourself and never try to get professionally published because it's hardcore. My first yeah. professional edit was an anal probe. And I didn't ask for it.
1: I mean when you think that your document when you think your your work is solid and it comes back looking like somebody blood all over the page, it's like okay. Um But you don't need to get beta. This is something you're doing for free because you love it. Often you if you just give yourself if you do all those steps leading up to beta that we've talked about, most people will improve the quality of their writing astronomically. Giving themselves space and time, having a checklist of things they go through and double check for consistency's sake. And running grammar checker and spell checker. That will improve most people's writing. You will be, if you do those things, you will be in the the top 20% of fan fiction in terms of writing, in terms of, you know, the quality of the the wordcraft. Because most people don't do that stuff. They just don't. I mean, it's pretty obvious, too.
0: Unfortunately. It's real obvious sometimes. And it's just like, I like your idea, but your execution hurt my feelings.
1: And there are there are basic skills that every author needs to learn, like dialogue mechanics and um, <coughs> just just the fundamentals of writing. But once you have that down, he, once you get the fundamentals down, everything else is the more you do it, the more you learn, kind of thing. But if you really want to go through the beta process and that's really a thing you want to do, it's it's about beta is about polishing your work. It is not about um, somebody else making your work readable. It should be readable before it goes to beta. And, you know, the funny thing is, I read a story once that, and it had been beta by somebody who I knew was competent as a beta. And it was a nightmare. And I was like, how hard, what state was this in to begin with? And I was really offended on the beta's behalf because the story in the state I read it should not have been turned over to the beta. I can't begin to imagine what condition it was in when the beta got it. And that, to me, is like asshole author behavior, really, is not cleaning up their work. My rough drafts are pretty clean, but I still don't toss them over the wall at a beta.
0: No, I wouldn't either. I mean, come on now. Don't be a butthole.
1: Does anybody have any questions
0: about getting ready
1: for beta before we wrap this topic and
0: talk about something really deeply inappropriate off off recording? As we do, yeah. Awesome. Oh, now you do it. So, Tim, you may, it may be one of the things
1: you don't need is if you've never had one and um, you go through these steps, you may wind you feel comfortable publishing and never feel like you need a beta. Um, uh, In-depth, I mean, we would need to have a different conversation about alpha reading. But when it comes to, like, an in-depth look at your writing and, like, what kinds of things you want to work on or... um, if there's something in the story that needs work or whatever, that's more of an alpha read kind of thing. That's content editing, um, which you really need to gird your loins for that kind of thing. (laughs) Because if you ask somebody for alpha help and um, you're not prepared for what they have to say, (laughs) because even if they phrase it as nicely as they possibly can, I mean, as somebody mentioned earlier, you can get your alpha read back and they can deliver it as nicely as possible, and you still have to double your word count in order to address the issues. Which sometimes, if you, if somebody's not ready for that kind of feedback, feedback that results in them having to double their story length, it's it's a it, you you need to know that that's where you are. Uh, yeah, finish early. The, if you're working for doing a project like, um, um, so like it, specifically like in context of the quantum bang. If you can actually finish your rough draft by, um, I would say a a good timeline is to finish your rough draft by art claims. Now, we say 80% finished in order to qualify art claims. But if you finish it by art claims, which is usually around March 15th is the submission date. If you finish it by then, the draft, and then you give yourself a month away from the story, and then on April and they, so let's you gotta line your beta up, okay? And you tell the beta that you're gonna have the story to them by May 1st, and would they be able to complete the beta by? Uh, actually, let's say April 21st, you're gonna have the story to them, and you're gonna get the story to them by April 21st, and could they have it back to you by May 15th? That gives them three weeks, a little over three weeks to beta and find, you know what, i will be sure to negotiate that in front. And it gives you a week to do your prep for beta. So you take a month away from the story. It gives you a week to do your editing, your prep for beta, get all that stuff done and then send it off to beta. It gives them three weeks with it. And then you have time to do another read through before you have to submit it on the 20th. So that it would be like a sample timeline. Um, so somebody asked my beta changed my spoken dialogue to be more formal, but I needed my characters talking like young people drop that beta forever um you didn't
0: communicate with your beta what you wanted but also that kind of changes is intrusive.
1: it is i I emotionally uh, react negatively to what you said to what happened um I don't like it when I when it comes to Dialogue changes, I will accept a suggestion like somebody saying this seems a little too informal or whatever. I don't like it when somebody actually changes my dialogue, it really like, rewriting my, back... my
0: words is a good way to get,
1: yeah, it sets my back up really badly. Um, so one of the things if I'm working with a new beta, um, I've actually made note that I tell them please don't like change what I've written. Um, if it's you know, sometimes the sentence probably is probably unc- why that
0: person turned off track changes and change your shit behind your back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, probably. Um, so when it comes to dialogue, dialogue is, it needs to be natural. So it's often very, it's often less formal than the narrative beats. So if you feel like, if you feel like um, you communicated adequately with them and they still did this, I would definitely say never communicate never let them better for you again
0: um honestly when someone violates or ignores your boundaries give them a pass period whether it's about your appearance your weight your writing whether you prefer pepsi or coke i mean just if if someone violates or ignores your boundaries give them a hard pass for the rest of their life because you don't need that kind of negativity in your life
1: I mean, the closest I get to rewriting something in somebody's stories, if they've got a squinting modifier, sometimes to fix a squinting modifier, you have to rearrange a sentence a little bit and adjust a word here or there. And I will do that, make the adjustment so that I'm using their words in a slightly different order to, because usually when you've got a squinting modifier, it's where the adverb is positioned in the sentence that's the Mm -hmm. issue. And I will fix that. And if sometimes there needs to be a word change to make it work, and I'll usually explain the first time I do that, I'm fixing a modifier um but because you know because sometimes it's like well it's like when you read something and it's like an action was performed but it could have been performed by either character because it's unclear with the way with the word order who did what who did it so that is that is actually correct that's fixing something that is basically a grammar issue um Based upon where adverts belong, but I would never rewrite somebody's dialogue. If there was a typo, that's you know I'd fix the typo. But rewriting dialogue is particularly particularly dialogue is um, it it really shows poor beta boundaries or that they've not betaed much, um, and especially if you told them not to change the dialogue and they did it anyway.
0: That's it's also to- they're like trying to own your shit.
1: Yeah, it's one thing to suggest a change, which is done through comments, and I sometimes will put in a suggestion, you know, this reads a little stiff or something like that. You could maybe rephrase it this way or this way or this way or something like that, because sometimes people, um, if you say this is, like I've said to people, this is a little stilted, and they go, I don't know how to fix it, and then I'll give them like two or three suggestions of how they could approach making it less stilted. But that's not the same thing as actually putting in new dialogue. And I had somebody fairly recently change dialogue in, in one of my stories during a, during a beta. And I was like, it, on principle, even though like one of the changes I actually kind of liked, on principle I just rejected all the dialogue changes. I was like, no. Because that's just that's just not on.
0: Yes, exactly. We touch Don't with touch. our eyes, not our hands. We, well, we see with our eyes, not our hands. You ever know that person is? let me see this. And they'll grab it. Whatever it is. I'm like, bitch, no, you asked to see it, not touch it. Don't touch my stuff.
1: Like there's someone who betas for me on a on a semi regular basis who, um she knows that I sometimes will have my dialogue grammatically incorrect. But sometimes it's unclear if a grammatical error is intentional or not. So she'll just, she'll just put a comment. Is this error intentional? And there are times when, oops, no, that's a typo. And so I always appreciate that she does it that way, that she just highlights that, you know, puts a comment in, did you mean this error to be here? Because sometimes it's like a deliberate misspeaking, right? Or whatever, because you want, to me, it flows that way in my head. And sometimes it's like, nope, that was a fuck-up. And that's the way she approaches it. She asks me, did you mean this to be?" Because I've told her, yes, there are going to be grammatical errors in my dialogue. But you're always welcome to ask me, is this intended to be present? People rarely speak with proper grammar. Even people who know what proper
0: grammar is
1: rarely use it.
0: Because it's not... Um... Honestly, it's not condu. It, it it's often not a conducive conversational style, and it can be off-putting in social situations, and it can put people ill at ease.
1: But then that what happens is when you have a character like Ducky who uses very structured formal language with a lot of anecdotes, it becomes a matter of the dialogue really does reflect a lot more about that character. But mm-hmm. like. In, in, in what in what was mentioned in the chat, the conversation about younger people speaking a certain way. It, some people have a very specific
0: speaking style, and that really does need to be reflected. I I've, I've got some text in my in requiem. People are texting back and forth, and I realized that I I'm writing their text the way I would write their dialogue, and I can't help myself. And honestly. I text with full sentences, and so do my characters. Fuck you, otherwise.
1: <laughs> well, the, one of the funny things about when I see text conversations in in stories is they have no capitals and no no capital letters, which I, I understand the the leet speak and all of that, and the little the, the abbreviated words and um the acronyms. But my phone puts capital letters in automatically, and it autocorrects like a boss. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, my phone is incapable. Of these conversations that I see in, I, I don't know how I would achieve that without, without spending more time achieving those, these ridiculous. I mean, yeah. time i try to put you
0: are in my, um, chat is you're, you know, like, are you going, you know, you are, um, it, it auto-corrects to urgent. So I kept sending my husband urgent texts, like urgent. Did you need milk? Yeah. <laughs> But, but, like, if I type
1: Y-O-U-R-E without the apostrophe, my phone puts Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. It autocorrects
0: yeah, that shit. Yeah, it does. So it when I wonderful. see
1: Y-O-U-R-E in a text with no apostrophe and no capitalization, I'm like,
0: What what's kind wrong of 1998 with your 98 phone are you using?
1: What's wrong with that <laughs> phone? Doesn't anybody have a Samsung or an Apple anymore?
0: <laughs> my phone's a better conversationalist than I am.
1: Yeah, it is. They are using chat speak and not phone speak in these text conversations on phones. And phones are much more um, it advanced. I mean, I put two spaces and I get a period. So, and then the next letter's capitalized. It's right. It, My text looking neat and tidy is not... Now, the one thing I do make a decision about is, like, I decided Buck never uses commas in text, and Eddie always uses them. And so I had to then go when I... Because I had a bunch of text conversations in the So Far series. I had to then go in and make that consistent, because Buck thinks it's funny that Eddie always uses commas. But Buck never does, because commas are, you know, kind of a nightmare. But periods and capital letters, no. No.
0: Anyway, I noticed I was doing it and I was like, do I need to change that? And I thought, no, I don't. (laughs) I do not. Yeah,
1: right? You do not. Absolutely not. Um, And since this conversation is about authors sending things off to beta as opposed to doing betas, um, one thing about getting your beta back, and since this was brought up in the chat, you are not obligated to ever work with a beta again. Oh, and there was that thing I said we need to talk about later. You're not ever obligated to work with a beta again. And you are not, um, you're not obligated to accept any of the corrections they put in.
0: Oh, on that subject, if you don't accept a single cor- correction they offer, do your beta a favor and let them know. Hey, I'm sorry, your beta style just didn't work for me. Um, so I didn't use any of your suggestions and I'm not going to credit you. Is that okay? sorry because when i have baited for somebody in the past and they left grievous errors in that i pointed out to them i was embarrassed to be listed as beta do them a favor yeah
1: and also if they go back and reread the story and say that see that you took none of their changes um and some some people do i mean i don't go back and i do not that's actually a strict policy i don't go back and i mean sometimes i do reread stories i've baited but not to see not with the intention of seeing if they accepted my changes or not because that way is lies a passive path, path of madness um but you're i mean most betas are receptive to you coming back and asking questions i'm trying to understand this change you know why did you make this or whatever and get them to explain what that change is about um because You might be learning something or you might disagree completely, but just because somebody suggested a change to you, you don't have to make that change and you don't ever have to let them beta for you again. It's not like this is you're contracted into some sort of lifelong obligation. Um, So the thing that came up earlier that I thought that we should mention, we should talk about was the idea of beta reciprocity.
0: Do you want to do this on recording or not? Yeah, let's just right. talk about it real quick.
1: There was kind of this idea of, like, you beta for me, I beta for you. Um, that seemed to be,
0: like, the standard when I first started in fandom. and um, That was my standard with my critique partner. We were yeah. partners. I read her work, she read mine.
1: And I think with critique partners, it's a little bit different. But I think one of the things that beta is, I think there is some, there's a little bit of a foundational, there's some something there about that that I think is... Probably true, but there's also a um there's also something that is a potentially problematic about it because people's strengths are different, and <laughs> people's strengths are are different, and you know just because somebody is if you if what you really need is a good grammar beta right because you're not good at it you beta reciprocity m- might not be. Um, a good thing for you, or you might not be you might have visual acuity issues and you might not be good at spotting typos, in which case that may be one of the reasons why you need a beta to help you with typos, in which case you might be better as an alpha reader for them than you would be as a beta reader. so I think just expecting people to slot into a reciprocal beta relationship is inherently problematic because it can set up hurt feelings um and also sometimes people have different measures of time some people have a lot of time to do that kind of things so people are spending a lot more time writing and they don't have as much time to beta um so it
0: can be i'm not a good I, beta I think, i'm the I last think de- person you want to ask as a beta i think it depends upon what the person needs because you know no really so i've never beta for you have i um. Oh, that's right. I did. But that was different. That was about ties at buying. That wasn't about, like, grammar. So, if you need a grammar beta, I'm not the person you want to ask. But if you need an alpha read in my fa- in, in a fandom that I'm really dedicated to, I can probably help you out. If I have time. But don't get butt hurt if I say no. Um. But I would not... I don't count on myself to be a good beta and never ask me to do math for you because I have just Calcula. <laughs> and like somebody mentioned they have dyslexia so it'd be
1: difficult i mean but that you might make a good alpha reader even if you aren't going to make a good beta reader um so it's just don't get caught into the trap of i baited for you now you have to beta for me um and also you know also i don't think that people should be taking on beta projects that are like in fandoms that they hate, or pairings that they hate, or things that they find offensive, and people fall into that trap of thinking they have to,
0: or traumatic, per-
1: right? Because this person baited for me, so now I, um, like there was somebody who baited for me at one point this a while back, um, and we did write in the same fandoms, but the way they characterized some of their characters was just really like almost imp- it was it was almost triggering for me to read it. And I just was like, I just can't. I just can't. Because it was getting me so upset. And I didn't know how to... So I just said, yeah, I can't. I am I'm can't beta. You know, I kind of had to back off. But it's, it's difficult to tell somebody no. And I totally understand that. Um, but I don't know. This is one of those things of where it's just... It's a difficult thing because there is this expectation. And it's the way it was presented to me when I came into fandom. That if you somebody betas for you pro quo experience it, it was a quid quid pro quo kind of thing and um i just i would challenge that if you can help them in some other way and they're baiting for you maybe it's bouncing ideas around um or maybe it's more of a pay it forward kind of situation you know so you you get lots of time from beta readers so you put it out there in alpha reading because that's your more your skill set or you know whatever um but sometimes it just can't be that little level balance that people seek out. So, I just don't don't feel like you have to do something. If you can and it's in your skill set and you there's there's no reason you couldn't and somebody has baited for you, I would certainly encourage you too, to to put that out there and let the that recipro- you know reciprocate what they've given to you. But you know, if There's some, if there's a major theme that they, particularly if there's something in their writing that's going to trigger you, absolutely don't put yourself in that position.
0: So I just want to be in a good mental health situation as much as possible.
1: Yeah. And you don't want your own writing to kind of fall into an abyss because you tried to. And that, you know, I've, that, that happened. um, It was, you know, it happened to somebody, you know, I know recently fairly recently in the last six months um, who read a story um, not in a beta situation, but close to a beta situation. They were given, asked to give feedback on the story um, that really was very triggering for them. And it affected their ability to
0: write anything for quite a while. So, Oh, on that subject, if you're ever given something to beta or alpha and it includes content that anyone was in, single amount of common sense would say is triggering and you don't get warned in advance never ever read for this person again yeah I had a pro writer friend critique with me and I had very firm boundaries about what I would and would not read and she knew it and she threw a historical romance at me and it opened with a scene very much like the first scene we see in Red Sonia. Ugh. If you know what I mean. Oh, I do. And if you don't know what I mean, please don't don't look it up. <laughs> yeah. And I called her and I said, what the fuck do you think you're doing? How, how mm. And she was like, oh, well, it's not a big deal. It was only a, t- a page or two. What's that got to do with anything? I said, you are a fucking asshole. I'm going to give your book to and one of our friends and I said, and I don't want to ever hear from you again. Oh, Tim, the question. Um, she she gave me a book that, that opened with like the same scene that Red Sonia opens with, basically. And Red Sonia is a uh, historical action movie, I guess. Uh, it had Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Was that how you say his last name? Yep, Schwarzenegger. Um, Schwarzenegger. Yep. And it it opens with. I don't want to say it, but it was awful. It was awful. And, um, she thought it was no problem at all. And it was explicit. It was actually far more explicit than the scene in Red Sonja, which I didn't understand as a child. I didn't get it. I didn't know what it was. My mother sheltered me a lot. And so I really didn't understand what it was and she didn't explain it. So it wasn't until I was much older. I was like 12 or 13 when I watched it with the knowledge that I needed to know what that was. And I was horrified. Yeah, I didn't... I've never watched Clan of the Cave Bears, and I didn't understand what was happening to her in Clan of the Cave Bears the first time I read it. If my mother had known what was in Clan of the Cave Bears, she never would have bought me that book. I mean, People are just assholes. I mean,
1: I, I sometimes when I send my document out to the beta, I haven't worked up my warnings list, but I um, will tell them in in the email or the when I talk to them in... Um, when I... Um, send them my or in discord the message about the story i will tell them what all the warnings are and you know the last story i when i when i alfred for people um often especially with alpha you'll often get a file that is got no warnings on it right and people somebody i alpha for last late last year i mean she wrote me and she told me what the warnings were. She already sent me the file, but she wrote me immediately and told me what the warnings were. And then like, I was like, alpha, She goes, oh my God, I forgot. I forgot. There's this thing and I want to be sure, you know, and it actually to me wasn't something that I thought needed a warning, but I really appreciated how conscientious she was about making sure I understood that there was, you know, something that might be a trigger for somebody. Um, and that's the kind of behavior you want to have as an author. Passing off your work, whether it's for alpha or beta is that, you communicate what's difficult in the story. Somebody might read.
0: Sometimes difficult elements serve your character, serve your story, tell the story, not necessarily serve, but tell the story. And so, and if that's the kind of story that you want to tell, that is perfectly fine. But to not warn for it is disgusting. It's disgusting. And there's no, there's no other way around it. So if you ever encounter that experience with a, with a, with an author that you're a beta you're giving beta to, yeah, one in ten. Um, uh, as far as statistics go, uh,
1: I mean it's basically, and if you get a file with no warnings in it, contact the author and say, what do I need to know about what's in this? Is there any trigger content? Anything potentially upsetting? I need to know in advance. And if you find out something that you are Upset about that you think you might have a problem with, ask them for more information. If you find if they say that there's potentially like sometimes people are vague, like they'll just put a rape warning on something, and you 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 like you're you're reading a Teen Wolf fic, and you're like, can you give me some context on this rape? Oh well, you know it references the Derek and Kate situation. Well, okay, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's upsetting, and it is sort of a trigger topic. But I'm like, I would then want to know. Well, are are you like? Flashbacks to it or something? No, no, no. It's just referenced. Okay. Well, that's not a problem. It, you have the right to ask for clarifying questions about trigger content to make and sure. And then it's something... to
0: decline that you read it.
1: Right. If it's and then if they say, oh yeah, I really there's this whole big flashback scene where Derek's reliving you know this whole thing with Kate. Like, oh no 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 no. Mm-mm. I I'm not Mm-mm. for many reasons, and it's not just the whole consent issue. I, I'm not reading 15-year-old having sex. Nope. With, a, with an adult. Nope. 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 I don't care. No matter
0: what he thinks it is. Right. Nope. 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 Um, There's a, actually... I have a very... I recently had an epiphany about that movie, Red Sonja, that I don't want to put on the recording. Um, but... We can talk about, can talk yeah, about it. Afterwards. Yeah. So, but... but we're basically me. done. We're basically done. Yeah, we're done.
1: But just make sure... We're, uh yeah okay so basically make sure you have the right um as as the beta reader to get whatever information you feel like you need and as the author um try to provide what what you can up front what you think they need to know and if the beta is asking for more information they're trying to protect themselves um and then if they have to decline it's just one of those things that sometimes you have to suck up you know it's it's just a thing that happens sometimes that a beta is just not. You know, And sometimes betas go wrong. It just it doesn't work out or it, it winds up not being a good fit. And sometimes that puts people off the process for all time and eternity. Um, I've had really rewarding and learned a lot from going through the beta process, but I can also say that this is something you do for fun. And I know most of the writers in our group are interested in improving their craft and getting better and becoming better writers. And so there is something to be gained from the beta process but you can improve your craft without going through beta so if it's going to be something that's going to traumatize you just don't do it that's all I have to say on the subject
0: I agree we're in agreement we have reached a consensus I hope you guys enjoyed this and you learned something from it and that you um, going forward think about your own beta process and figure out what works for you because what works for me and what works for Julie might not work for you and that is perfectly okay if you don't have it, store-bought is fine.
1: <laughs> you do you, boo. And we don't mean that in the fuck you kind of way that everybody says it is.
0: <laughs> Although sometimes it is the fuck you kind of way. Sometimes I do mean it in the fuck you kind of way. But just take the tone into consideration. Like if you ever get to email me from me and I end it with have a blessed day. Be She's assured. telling you to f-
1: fuck right off.
0: <laughs> be assured. Anyways, I want you have a great week. And uh, we, we shall catch you later. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone.